This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, really excited to be back with my friend and co-host, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I am equally excited to be back with the Sultan of Segway, the maestro on the mic, the yo-yo ma of the yes Elon Dabrowski. So good to have you back from vacation. Uh, this is a special, well, like not a special episode the way the last one was. This is going to be more Keeping Carlson episode, but we did this last year, Elon, this concept you had, and I'm really pumped to do our 31 teams, 31 takes. Oh, yes. We're going to wow. go through every single team in the NHL and say one thing at least about each team. We're going to try to knock this out in two hours. So we'll see what we can do. Of course, before we get started, I want to first thank you, Brian, for all those great uh, nicknames. I loved them. Keep that coming every week. And two, we are presented, of course, by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. I used it so much to prep this episode. The player profiles on Frozen Tools are so good and just keep getting better. They now have a quality start column for the goalies. So you could go through the goalies game log and see how many quality starts they've had in this whole it's a very useful stat, right? It's it's so like uh, intuitive. It's just was the goalie good or bad? Like it's hard, it's complicated sometimes to look at if they won or if they lost. Do they have a good save percentage or a bad save percentage? All I care about: did they hurt me or did they help me? So uh, that's very handy. And there's all the other stuff on the site, like the articles, daily ramblings. I just love it so much. Dobberhockey.com. I'm, we're proudly presented. We're not paid money to say this, okay? We actually are proudly presented by Dobberhockey.com. It's the best fans website out there, Brian. Okay, let's get started with the Anaheim Ducks. Big day today because it looks like Ricard Raquel and Cam Fowler may both be returning to the team today and if not today then very soon I guess they're both game time decisions but they've both been practicing with the team huge news for this team finally getting somewhat healthy like Corey Perry's still out Patrick Eves will probably be out forever though apparently he's been skating as well but overall it's looking good Raquel might return today like Elliot Tiefer tweeted that he was skating with Getzlaff and Pontus Auberg on the top line so let's look into what this means for the Ducks. Ricard Raquel has only 20 points in 30 games so far. That's a 55-point pace. Kind of disappointing, especially since he put up 73 points last season. Can we be somewhat confident that Raquel's going to do better in the second half than he did in the first half? And also, do you think his return will help someone like Ryan Getzlaff, who's actually not doing so well lately? He's pointless in six. 
So uh, I have a lot of faith in Raquel coming back and being as good as we all hoped he'd be, especially you and I, Elon, when we traded Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Oscar Clefbaum to acquire him. I think we each performed that exact same trade. Uh, Raquel, so far, you know, he's 20 points in 30 games, which is pretty good when you look at his like percentages and sustainability numbers and see a player who's still doing everything apparently right, but having random stuff just go wrong. His five on five IPP is down 20%. His on ice shooting percentage is on the low end at just above 7%. And Raquel has scored like only five times this season. That's not great. Uh, it looks even worse or maybe less believable is the better word when you see that Raquel has just one goal at even strength at five on five on 63 shots and only one goal on 17 shots with the man advantage going by Raquel's career shooting percentage averages uh, he should have been able to score about five more at five on five and a couple more on the power play so you give Raquel those goals and like don't even adjust for the other sad variants that Raquel is having and he's right up above the 70-point pace that we'd considered his uh, essentially his floor for the year. So hang in there, Raquel owners. I think good things are on the way. And if you don't own Raquel, if you're a Raquel not owner, this might be your final chance to buy low uh, before he really gets things rolling this season. Clearly, I have not lost the faith at all for Ricard Raquel. Okay, and then you want to comment on Ryan Getzlaff. Do you think that Raquel's return will help him get going again? Because I felt like he was like a super underrated guy. I've been loving owning him in a couple leagues, but lately it's not been so great. Yeah, so Raquel coming back is hopefully not just going to get Getzlaff going. It's going to get everybody going in Anaheim. The Ducks have just 11 goals over their last seven games. Uh, So it's not a shocker that Getzlaff is not getting points because there aren't many points to go around. You also look at his line mates. Uh, So he's been with Pontus Aubrey, as you mentioned, for most of the time. Kiefer Sherwood and Daniel Sprong have been the third pieces on that line. I was going to say third wheels, but I feel like it's Getzlaff with a second wheel and a third wheel. Uh, We love Getzlaff and appreciate all he can do, even with uh, without being surrounded by some top end talent. Uh, But this seems like a little much for him to push through with so little help happening around him. So look, uh, Getzlaff can't luck into points that could keep him going uh, generally when no one else on the team is doing anything. Raquel being back is going to help. Uh, So buy low on Getzlaff if you can. Yeah, and Fowler, like I said, may also be back today. Cam Fowler, the top power play defenseman. It's been Brandon Montour taking the helm in that role for most of the time with Fowler out, though he only has one assist in his last nine games, and actually Josh Mahura was on the top power play on Friday. So Brandon Montour may have already been a snoozer even without Fowler coming back. But now Cam Fowler coming back, I assume that means Brandon Montour dropping from your team. And I think people should be looking to grab Cam Fowler if they could get him in free agency on our Facebook group, our Patreon Facebook group. A lot of people have been asking if they should add Fowler or a list of other guys. I really like Fowler on this team if they've got gets off if they've got Raquel you know this is going to be a strong top power play hopefully and I feel like Cam Fowler is going to continue on with his 43 point pace that he's put up halfway through the year so far in the 10 well he's only played 19 games 10 points in 19 games so far I feel like he should be able to keep that up right he absolutely like I would love if he could keep it up it seems like a reasonable pace and the fact that no one Ducks defenseman has flourished or stood out or stuck on that top power play unit just makes me even more uh hopeful that Cam Fowler is just going to be the undisputed guy. I have him in my IR. I need him to be the undisputed power play quarterback. So I figure he can come in and a 45 point pace should be a very reasonable thing to expect. All right, one team down, 30 teams to go. Let's go to the Arizona Coyotes. Nick Schmaltz is week to week with a lower body injury. Really tough break for Schmaltz, right? He was having a breakout season since joining the Coyotes. 14 points in 17 games. He was getting that great deployment playing with Clayton Keller, but he's out 
for now. So stash them in your IR if you can. And with Schmaltz out, Arizona has been stacking the top line with Keller, Stepan, Galchenyuk. Seems like all the other forwards on the team are pretty irrelevant at this point if they're going to put all their best players on the top line. Brian, is, is it time for us to concede, though, that we got our Clayton Keller projection wrong at the start of the season? We both said 75 points, and he's currently got 29 points in 41 games for a 58-point pace, so well below what we were expecting. Does that seem like a realistic expectation moving forward that he's going to stick around this like 60-point pace, or do you see any underlying numbers any pdo coursey that suggests that he's due to improve in the second half uh no i don't honestly it's sad like okay his five on five ipp is like it's meh it's not great could be a little better his on ice shooting percentage same but his individual expected goals for per 60 is also down like he is not getting in as much good work as we thought he would so yeah i'm with you elon that in our almanac preseason we were too hopeful on Keller uh, as we were like we were about him and much of Arizona. It's been a really tough season in the desert for the Coyotes, who are ranked 29th in the league in goal scoring. I still think uh, for Clayton Keller, 75 points can certainly happen eventually, uh, but perhaps this won't be the year that we see it happen for the first time. Ah, oh, bummer. Okay, yeah. but next year, he's going to be good in the Keeper League, for sure. Uh, that was, by the way, a tweet from, that we just got from Per Torngvist saying, like, hey, did you see how the Islanders won, even though the PDO Corsi and other shiz told otherwise? <laughs> just, I don't know, made me laugh. PDO Corsi, all one word, by the way, all lowercase. Beautiful. Love you, Per. Okay, uh, also in Arizona, Calvin Pickard. Pear. Pear? Oh. I think it's pear, like the fruit. Oh, okay. Oh, I just bought some pears yesterday. It's tough at the grocery store. There's like different kinds of pears. How are you supposed to know? There were three pears and there were three different prices. I went with the middle priced pear. There was like so, a two, there was a two fifty, two dollar and fifty cents per gram or whatever pound, and then there was a, like a two dollar and then a one fifty. I went for the two dollar. You think that was smart? Was it Bosque, Bartlett, or Asian? Uh, oh man, I think Bartlett was the most expensive one. Is that the tastiest <laughs> one in your opinion? Uh, I think I prefer Bartlett. Like you've got the Bosque, which are a little crispy and like the Asian, I think are super crunchy. Okay. I, I think we got the Asian one then. It was brown, but okay. People probably don't care about that. They care so much more though about your super hot take that you sent me earlier this week about Calvin Pickard. He was sent to the AHL for conditioning and you messaged me saying, Elon, this is a sign that he's going to be a really great guy to add. And you sent me a link to an article that I apologize. I didn't read. So can you just explain <laughs> like, why did Calvin Pickard getting sent to the AHL mean that he's going to be a good guy to add soon? Like in the meantime, Darcy Kemper has actually been pretty good lately for Arizona. He's had four quality starts in his last last five games thank you frozen tools for that set so it seems like he's the coyotes goalie to own at the moment i'm talking about darcy kemper but tell me why you think calvin pickard should be on people's radars so the article i sent you was by kat silverman who's a great follow on twitter for goalie stuff generally and specifically coyote stuff as well um and she's a writer for the athletic and so she has this she she reported that when pickard was traded to arizona it came out that like he was being asked to make some technical adjustments to his game in Philadelphia that just weren't taking. And so like Arizona grabbed him and like sees him as a reclamation project. And the fact that he has taken time to get up to speed is now going to get conditioned in the AHL is sort of a hint that like they're working with him. Like he's the guy that they're trying to mold into something more than what we've seen so far. And remember we saw him good for a spell in Colorado before we've also seen him bad for spells at other times, but look, no goalie has done well, has succeeded in Philadelphia this year. So I'm not so sure that we can really ding him for his time there so far. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I feel like Arizona is investing some 
resources in him, like some proper coaching, some timing, and that eventually he is going to be the guy that they're hoping uh, takes at least the 1A spot for the rest of the year. I know Darcy Kemper has been good. Unfortunately for Darcy Kemper, even with some of his better efforts, he has just one win in his last 10 tries. Uh, some good performances from him, uh, but not from the team in front of him. But the thing about Kemper versus Pickard is like, I like uh, Pickard as somebody whose ceiling I still don't quite know, whereas Kemper, I kind of get the sit. Like, I know who he is. I've watched him long enough. Uh, he's an okay NHL backup. He can occasionally put up a great start, but more often than not, he's a risk to blow up your numbers. So he's been heroic for the Coyotes, even though they haven't taken full advantage of his services in net lately. But I don't think that 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 heroism is anything that can be sustained. Okay, fair enough. I still prefer Kemper over Pickard at this point, but I'm sure well, you do too. At this point, yes. Okay, yeah. but, but but at some point, you got to speculate in Ed Pickard. Also, before we move on from Arizona, Elon, uh, how about Derek Stepan? Mr. Irrelevant, pointless in 12 of his last 14 games on a 34-point pace for the season. Uh, do, you, do you still hang on to this guy? No, of course not. He's a free agent for sure, but he would definitely be at the top of my watch list because if he's playing with Clayton Keller, I feel like he's the type of guy you could stream in. He, he's like the type of guy you wait until there's a good schedule, you stream him in, and then if he happens to do well, then maybe you consider holding on to him and seeing if he could keep it going. But yeah, I wouldn't be... I mean, obviously it depends how deep your league is, but yeah, I'm not super into Stepan at this point. He used to be a reliable 55, 60-point guy. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen this year. No one on... Like you said, no one on Arizona is getting enough points for him to be super relevant. Uh, let's go to Boston. Jake DeBrusque returned from his concussion on the Thursday before New Year's Eve after missing nine games. He uh, was on the second line yesterday with Krejci and Bacchus. By the way, Bacchus also returned from his suspension. He's also actually doing pretty well right now. But I'm going to talk about Jake DeBrusque, who also saw top power play time, that amazing fourth forward spot. He has three goals and one assist in five games since returning. DeBrusque Bryan is another guy, just like Clayton Keller, that we were high on in the Almanac over the summer when we were making our projections, and he's disappointed us so far. Only 16 points in 33 games. It's a 40-point pace. If DeBrusque was available in one of your leagues, would you be jumping on him expecting a second half improvement, especially if he sticks on this top power play? Like I'm looking at Mark, by the way, we've got Marcus here in the chat room who was on the show last week, did an amazing job. So did the average time on ice people. Great job, Lewis and Ben and Jade. But yeah, Marcus sends us this spreadsheet every week with uh, percentage owned numbers in the cupful, 16 cupful divisions. That's the keeping Carlson all the major fantasy league. I have to explain like so many things. But yeah, with this amazing league that we run with really smart owners. So in the 16 leagues, Jake DeBrusque is owned in 93.7% of them, which I think means only one of the 16 leagues is he unowned as opposed to only 25% owned in Yahoo overall. So clearly our patrons, Brian, think that DeBrusque is better than most people think. Do you concur? Yeah, I think DeBrusque is better than his numbers have shown so far this year. Uh, when he was healthy, he was being sunk by a five-on-five on-ice five on shooting percentage that was below 7%, and 7% would not even be good. So below a not very good on-ice shooting percentage is not his fault. And he should uh, be better in a longer stretch of games for the rest of the year. Um, aside from that low on ice shooting percentage, he, he's looked much better than his stat line has suggested and certainly no worse than last year's 50-point pace. I don't know if DeBrus can stick on the top power play. Uh, that fourth forward spot has been a revolving door all year. But if anyone can hang on to it, it's probably him, and I'm still confident that if he does get that time, he can do something with it. Maybe he can establish himself there before they have a chance to kick him off the top unit. So DeBrusque certainly makes a good under-the-radar ad in leagues where he may have been forgotten over the course of his injury. I added him in one of my leagues today. I suggest you do the same if you've got some dead weight hanging around. 
and Brian, I'm sure you don't know this, but you, you, we also have him in our joint league. We added him earlier this week. But I know you don't pay attention to that. You're like a shadow. What? You're just the money for this league. <laughs> what jo- we're, we're in a joint league? Okay. Uh, by the way, did you like? I took some liberties. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Debrusque. I, you didn't want to go with me on that. That's fine. But I heard on some other podcasts they called him Debrusque. So I'm going to do that until someone calls me out on it. Uh, let's go to Buffalo. Jack Eichel sustained an upper body injury versus the Islanders on Monday. He hasn't played since. Super annoying because he's been day-to-day on ESPN, even though his status said Jack Eichel's going to miss the next couple games. He's going to be out for the week. ESPN, give him the O then. Very frustrating. That's what the O is for when you know he's going to be out and he's not. uh, Anyway, he's day-to-day. He might be back next week, hopefully. Jack Eichel having such an amazing season. Evan Rodriguez took over his line one, power play one spot for a couple of games to play with Reinhardt and Skinner. He didn't produce a lick. And I was going to ask you about him, but then I realized that uh, Casey Middlestadt actually took over in yesterday's game, I guess, for one period on the top line. And he's someone I'm a lot more interested in. Obviously, this might be short term. But Brian, what do you think about Casey Middlestead at this point? We were pretty high on him as well. Like coming into the season, we thought he'd be like one of the standout rookies this year. And he's basically been invisible, like not on anyone's fantasy radars. Do you think he's the type of person that people should be keeping their eye on for the second half? Yeah, well, well let's uh, let's just go back and see. I want to say maybe but like just just the history of our middle stat interactions or, or thoughts for the season. I went from cheekily projecting Casey Middlestat for 70 points at the outset of our almanac to walking that quickly back to 50 points, then walking that back further to like half point per game tops. And my current stance on middle stat is like, I don't even know if I could say I was premature in calling him a 70 point player, because at this point, I'm not sure he'll ever be. He really hasn't looked great anytime I've seen him and his coaches seem to agree, never offering him great deployment and getting him just 11 or 12 minutes of ice time on average so far this year. But I remain open to the tide turning, right? All this smoke can't lead to no fire. I guess it could, but like, he, he's played 14, 15, and 16 minutes uh, in recent games. He was busted down to less than nine minutes before finally being given that shot on the top line with Skinner and Reinhardt. And I will give anyone a look who's seeing time with those two. So if middle stats, the guy middle stats, the guy, I don't know if I'm like more excited about middle stat there than I would have been Evan Rodriguez, which speaks to both how excited I am about Rodriguez or middle stat, which is not very much, but you've got to go with a third piece on a line with two very solid pieces on it. Like I'm not running out to rush to grab middle stat uh, in any league that has say 50 point options in free agency right now. But if you can put them on like your watch list, see if this deployment holds up and if he can do anything with it, uh, he could be like, he's, he's worth watching. I think is as far as I'm about to go or streaming in, in a deeper league to see if he can take advantage, but I'm not getting my hopes too high. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we've done our job. We've thrown his name out there as someone to watch for the second half of the season. He's obviously a high pedigree prospect. We saw Nolan Patrick last year do nothing in the first half of the year and then had a much better second half. So maybe something like that could happen with Middlestad. Even, you know, hopefully Eichel's back soon. We're not going to see Middlestad on the top line, but we thought he could do stuff even on the second line. And maybe he'll be uh, sticking on that top power play at some point. So there might be something there. There is smoke, like you said, but it, it could be, Brian, just like Kara's fire in the finale of Survivor last month where there was some smoke, but she couldn't get the fire going. And uh, that's why she couldn't beat uh, Mike White in the first park. Okay. Calgary flames. Oh my God. This Calgary top line with Kachuk and Giordano on the top power play. Like all these five players are so, so good. Like all of them 
but Giordano are uh, well above a point per game at this point. Johnny Gaudreau is on a 118-point pace. He's got 62 points in 43 games so far. Unbelievable. Elias Lindholm up to 48 points in 43 games. That's a 92-point pace for Elias Lindholm. And he's playing like 20-plus minutes a game. Like This is a significant player on the team. Like I feel like generally a third wheel on a line when we talk about these like teams where they have awesome random guy that's the third on a line and he's getting a lot of points. Then you usually look and he plays like 14, 15 minutes a game. But no, like Elias Lindholm is a key player on this team. He plays big minutes. Like I said, 92 point pace. Is he going to end the year above a point per game at this point? Like, is he the top candidate right now to be like the breakout star of the season? But, but that's a silly question. But like, Brian, what do you think? Is Elias Lindholm going to end with over 82 points at the end of the season? It sure looks that way. And I mean, here's the incredible thing about Elias Lindholm. Look everywhere other than Lindholm's actual scoring totals. And he looks so freaking similar to the mediocre player he'd been for the last few years in Carolina. Like his shot rates, similar. Shot attempt rates, similar. Uh, Expected goals for, also similar. And yet here we are, a newly minted apparent star player in the league who is as must an ad as someone like Gabriel Landeskog in Colorado. Like this is a guy you can't pass up on and you're kicking yourself for not getting earlier in your drafts. Here's another incredible thing about Lindholm is that his IPP is actually down this year. And normally when that happens, we're like, oh, well, like he should be getting more points. Um, and here's here's why I bro- how I broke it down. So Lindholm is getting in on fewer of the goals scored while he's on the ice at five on five, but there are so many more goals being scored while he's on the ice. In fact, 43 games in, Elias Lindholm has been on the ice for 39 five on five goals, which is exactly how many Lindholm was on the ice for in 81 games last year. So that works out very nicely for him. Lindholm doesn't need to get in on so many goals because there's so many more available to get in on. It's like in Carolina, if Lindholm missed a bus, he'd need to wait 30 minutes for the next one. But in Calgary, if he misses the bus, it's no big deal because the bus are coming every 15 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes. So there's so many ways for Lindholm to get points in Calgary that I'm not concerned about his low IPP, in fact. (laughs) Oh, God. Just keep going. I'm not editing everything. (laughs) In fact, uh, I think he can, like, his IPP could still regress positively, which is crazy to think Lindholm could still get more points. I could also point out that Lindholm has taken exactly as many shots as Ricard Raquel at five on five, but has scored eight more goals than Raquel has. Uh, Lindholm has nine goals on 63 shots for a five on five shooting percentage above 14%, which is more than double his career five on five shooting numbers. But seeing Carolina continue to have chronic goal scoring issues this year, even with a new coach, like, is there something in the water there? I wonder if we just need to give Lindholm the benefit of the doubt, the same way we give it to guys who struggled in Buffalo a few years back in that Carolina just seems to just drain guys shooting percentages for whatever reason. So maybe Lindholm isn't a 14% shooter at five on five, but maybe he also wasn't a six or 7% shooter at five on five uh, the way he was in Carolina either. So stay tuned to see what Elias Lindholm's true shooting percentage is. It's hard because uh, he's been such a mystery for a few years now. I'm, I'm so desperately interested in knowing what Lindholm looks like on an average top line or in a well-rounded top six, just uh. how much of his success is because of the team around him uh, and how much he can rightfully take credit for himself. Uh, but the way things are going on this insane top line in Calgary, 
uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be move, moved off of there anytime soon. We, we've essentially seen him go from a famine situation to a feast situation. I don't know what Lindholm looks like in the middle, but we don't need to know. We see him in the feast. We see him catching the bus regularly, and uh, he's a great guy to own. What, what, I, there's no advice to give here, right? Don't sell high. Please don't give any advice. We got to get through 30 teams or whatever. You, that was a quite the run. And yeah, Elias Lindholm is great. I realized halfway through that I said, like, I'm not going to edit again. Uh, but people who are listening to the show didn't know about the previous edits because I edited. That's the whole concept <laughs> of the thing. So uh, that, that explains that. Uh, also, uh, like, like Brian, uh, Baruch Hashem, hopefully Elias Lindholm stays on that top line. Don't say like you desperately want to see how he would do off that line. I need him to continue producing on my couple team. He's going to stay there forever. And don't ever say otherwise, please. But don't you, don't you want to know? Who no, he is? I know who he is. He's a 92-point player when he <laughs> plays with Gaudreau and Monaghan. Yeah, okay. Are you desperate to know who Miko Rantanen is when he's not playing with Nathan McKinnon? I like. I'm a li- I feel like I know a little more about Miko Rantanen because I didn't watch him struggle for so many years and f- to the point that I was ready to finally give up on him. Lindholm is just like such an enigma. Like I, I don't own him on any of my fantasy teams. So... I have no skin in the game if he does get bumped to the second line. That's great for me in figuring out uh, how good he actually is as a player, but bad for all of his owners. So in the interest of his owners, because I'm such an altruist, uh, I hope that I don't, I never know how good a player he can truly be on an average line and that he just keeps crushing it on one of the most exciting, dynamic, hot, super amazing lines in the league. Brian, like you're really showcasing how great a friend you are. There's like you have no skin in the game when I just said that I have him on my team. You don't give a crap. That's fine. Uh, the other guy the Flames got in that Dougie Hamilton trade, by the way, was Noah Hannafin, who's also on a great run right now. He's had two straight two assist games, nine assists in his last ten games overall. All at even strength, by the way, which is very impressive because he does get like second unit power play time. You think he get a power play point every once in a while? Do you think that Noah Hannafin can keep this up and become worth rostering in most leagues for the rest of the season? Because he's been a free agent in a lot of leagues for most of the year. Now I see him getting scooped up everywhere. Actually, while you answer, I'll ch- take a look at Marcus's spreadsheet and see how many people have him in the couple now. Okay, so Hannafin is seeing career high minutes this year, almost twenty one per game, which is two more than he saw in Carolina last year. But he's still got the exact same coach who just has decided to use to, to use him more often this year. Weird, but okay, we'll take it. Uh, Hanfin has nine points in the last 10, all assists, all at even strength. Uh, one reason to think that Hanfin's production won't continue is that 11 of his 16 points have been secondaries. Uh, so that's not so encouraging, but he is in a good spot on a very good team. So Hanfin is probably worth giving a shot if you've got the space for him, as long as he can co- keep putting up a point here and there. Also, he has fantastic hair in his official player photo. <laughs> well, yeah, that's worth that's worth owning for sure. Uh, by the way, speaking of Dougie Hamilton, let's mosey on over to the Carolina Hurricanes. And Dougie Hamilton is showing some signs of life. He's got a goal and an assist on Thursday at Philadelphia. He did have that, I should say. And then he also scored a goal on five shots on Friday versus Columbus. And Carolina will play again today. I believe they're starting right now against Ottawa. So we could even check in and see how he's doing. Uh, still, even with these points recently, Dougie, Dougie Hamilton only has 13 points in 40 games on the season going into today. What are the odds that this recent two-game stretch is the start of something versus us coming back next week to report on, hey, Dougie Hamilton, he's been pointless over the past week and he's doing nothing once again. What do you think, Lisa Bright? Like, give me the odds. Like, what percentage chance is it that Dougie Hamilton is heating up versus this is just a small little blip uh, in a nothing season? 
I have remained steadfast in my support for Dougie Hamilton. He's seeing enough ice time. He's getting enough chances, but just snake bitten in a variety of ways. Uh, Tyler Dello over at The Athletic has detailed a handful of them over the last while about how uh, it's not so simple to say Dougie Hamilton is not as good as we thought he was. And that under the hood in a lot of different ways that like may or may not actually matter for his production, but it's still nice to see uh, Dougie Hamilton still looks like a legit, uh, like the solid player that we've seen over past year. So it's lovely to finally see signs of life from him on the score sheet. Uh, But just remember also that Dougie Hamilton has had a pulse all year, uh, just not in point scoring. Dougie Hamilton ranks third amongst all defensemen in total shot attempts, fourth in shots on goal, and that's amongst a group of defensemen who've all played roughly 100 minutes more than him. So if you look at his rate stats, uh, he'll be ranked even higher in the way he attempts shots and registers shots on net. Elon, by the way, um, aside from Dougie Hamilton, every other defenseman in the top 10 in shots on goal and shot attempts has more than 700 minutes of ice time this year. There's one other defenseman outside of Dougie Hamilton who has less than 700 minutes uh, of ice time this year and is still like crushing it in the shots and shot attempts department. He actually barely has 600 minutes on the season, which is about 50 fewer minutes than Dougie Hamilton. This is a very convoluted way of me asking the question to you, Elon, can you guess the player on defense who is seeing significantly less ice time than the top shot getters in the league, but is finding himself right amongst them? Oh my God. Okay, I don't know. Brian Pulak. Johnny Boychuk. You're on the right team. Ah, that's close. He is just firing pucks on net. So if you're in a shots league, you got to look at him. He scored a goal, I think, yesterday. I like Boychuk, and he also helps with peripherals. So yeah, take a look at him in a lot of leagues. In the Kakupful, where you get points for your hits and your blocks and your shots and all of that, Johnny Boychuk should probably be owned in in some. By the way, uh, Noah Hannafin owned in 100% of Kakupful League. So yeah, our patrons, (laughs) they know what they're doing. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, I assume, is 100% as well. I'll take a look at that maybe in a second. Uh, While you do, I'll mention that, uh, you know, there is a Carolina connection for Johnny Boychuk. Zach Boychuk used to play uh, in Carolina. Wow. I don't know that there's actually a familial relation, though. Okay, actually, you know what? I'll leave it as an exercise to the reader to see uh, what percentage owned Dougie Hamilton is in the Cacuffle because Marcus is nice enough to post a stat attack every single week on the Cacuffle Zone Facebook page where he drops all this kind of knowledge and he, and he links to the spreadsheet. What a, what a treasure, Marcus, man. Wow. Okay, uh, speaking, we're still in Carolina, right? If you jumped on Svechnikov after he jumped on the top line of top power play with Aho and Tavo and company, you know, you may want to find another streamer. Uh, looks like Svechnikov is back in the middle six and not on the top power play, which is a bummer. Maybe he'll get back there at some point later in the season. Uh, according to the lines on Friday, and again, they are playing today, so maybe this has changed, but on Friday, it was Brock McGinn taking that spot at even strength with Toivo Teravainen, Tavo Teravainen, I should say, and Sebastian Aho. And then also uh, Furland and Williams took the other top two, uh, the other two top forward spots on the top power play. I'm saying the word top too much and in all the wrong places. Uh, but to repeat, uh, Aho, Tara Viden, and McGinn on line one, and then Aho, Tara Viden, uh, Furland, Williams, and Justin Falk on the top power play. Okay, McGinn, by the way, one assist in each of his last two games, and I'm seeing he actually scored a goal today, a shorthanded goal so far today, early on versus Ottawa. Could be like a sneaky daily fantasy play or like a deep league stream. With Carolina, they play Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday next week, which is a pretty nice schedule. And if McGinn's going to be on the top line, you could probably get him for nothing for pennies. And maybe he could do something just because he's playing with such great players. And uh, I'll also say Brian really quickly, Justin Williams has pointed in his last two games and I like him on the top power play. So he's another one to maybe look at. Yeah. And uh, just Brock was, so Justin Williams will also help you in the shots on goal department. Brock McGinn will also help you in the hits department. If you're in a peripherals league, that makes him a bit uh, more of an attractive stream. 
Let's now head over to Chicago. Colin Delia has continued to impress. He's now played four games, only one extra game this week since you sort of, I don't know, would you say, what would you say last week, Brian? Uh, you brought up Mackenzie Blackwood and Colin Delia, and you sort of were saying, I don't know, or like, what was your general sense? Uh, I, I still recall at the moment. About Colin Delia specifically? I guess you were talking about Delia and Blackwood in a whole, and you were saying like, these are the types of goalies that you prefer to let someone else take because you don't know what's going to happen. I don't think that's exactly what I said. I think I said that goalies do this all the time and that there's no way to know exactly how good they're going to be. Like I saw Eric Erisberg thrown out as an example of a guy. I don't know if you remember, Elon, he played in LA. He played more than a quarter of a season, put up great numbers and then just vanished, like fell off a cliff in his game, never got another look. Uh, Like this year, you can even just look to someone like Aiden Hill in Arizona who started his NHL, uh, started his career, his year this year with, Three wins, a 975 save percentage, stopping 79 of 81 shots against in his first three starts. But then Hill uh, has been 3 4 0 with an 890 save percentage in seven starts since then. So, like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we see goalies come in, start hot all the time. It's just, it doesn't mean anything for whether they're going to keep it up. It's very exciting. So, I guess all I was saying was like, preaching like don't sell the farm don't give up too much to try and add one of these guys to your roster um but the good news for Delia is that he's only got Cam Ward to contend with and that's not a very high bar to clear uh you just also need to be warned though if you are going to go for Delia is that uh, he's on a crummy team that even Corey Crawford couldn't find personal success with this season I'd have a hard time believing that Delia can do any better than Crawford in the long run um so just that's the that's the buyer beware if you're looking to invest in a Chicago goalie. Yeah, so yeah, maybe don't like drop an established goalie. But Colin Delia, for now, I would definitely take a flyer on him. Like I think he should be owned in all leagues just in case that upside is going to come through. Uh, he's 93.75% owned in the couple. So another uh, guy that's owned in all the leagues except for one at this point. Uh, so four games so far, three wins, a sparkling 952 save percentage. But yeah, we'll need to see another few weeks. Uh, Cam Ward is playing today, which annoyed me. But then I realized it's because Chicago has a back-to-back and Delia is going to get the start tomorrow against Calgary. And uh, Ward will get the tough game against Pittsburgh today where I assume he's going to get completely blown up you'll know by the time you're listening to the show whether i was correct or not also on chicago eric gustafson is pointed in four straight games he has 16 points in his last 19 games he's taken a stranglehold of that top power play d spot and is crushing it with five power play points in his last eight games from that top power play spot so i feel like there's no way that eric gustafson is going to get bumped from that top power play anytime soon and also i think there's no way he should be available in any format i think you've got to rush to own eric gustafson if you used to want to own duncan keith now you want to own eric gustafson do you concur I absolutely concur. He seems to be the top power play guy in Chicago. We had someone asking if, like, Henry Yokiharu coming back from his gold medal trip to the World Juniors uh, might threaten Gustafsson's spot. I don't think so. That doesn't scare me off of Gustafsson in the short term. So he seems like a must-own in pretty much all leagues right now. So, Brian, we're doing this fun thing right now. We're going across the league, talking about every team. Could you imagine how fun it would be to do that? Like, go to a game for every single team in the league? Could you imagine? One day, life goals, okay? And one way that that would be made easy would be to use our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Because getting tickets online can be very complicated. I can't even imagine how complicated it would be to get tickets for 31 games across an NHL season. But you'd be able to get help from our friends at SeatGeek with hundreds of sites. They pull 
pull from all of them with very like you know like they, they pull from everywhere they get you good seats at a price that you're willing to pay they even like sort the tickets when you go there by value so you can see if you're getting good value you can also sort obviously by price and all the other great things i have the seat geek app i like to take a look and just see what's going on even if i don't have a specific show in mind it's fun to just see what's going on in the area brian here as a favor to you i'm taking a look and seeing what's going on in ottawa right now uh you could go buy tickets to see kiss on april 3rd at, at the canadian tire center are, are you going to be going to see kiss i didn't even know that they were uh so what's the name of that lead singer again gene simmons oh yeah he was on an episode of the celebrity apprentice and was a complete disaster it was it was really funny but anyways, are you gonna go see kiss anyway, no i don't know you can answer that and also tell our listeners about how they can get ten dollars off their tickets to see kiss at the canadian tire center in april i think i'll just watch spinal tap or even detroit rock city instead uh, but SeatGeek would be great if they sold tickets to watch those movies. I would buy them. with. Anyway, uh, if you want to use SeatGeek to buy a ticket to your next event, which you should because they're so easy, uh, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase just for being a listener of Keeping Carlson. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Okay, let's go next to Colorado. Gabriel Landeskog back on line one. That didn't take long. So, Brian, you had a good chat last week about who was like Tyson Jost or whoever taking that spot. Whatever. That's over. Landeskog back on the top line. He had a golden assist versus the Rangers on Friday. Hopefully no one panicked and like moved him while he was away from that spot for a couple of games. Nothing to worry about there. Okay. Uh, Semyon Varlamov is day-to-day with a lower body injury. He's missed the last couple of games. He's the type of person I would worry about. I know I scared people a few weeks ago when Chris Letang was hurt. And I was like, I don't know, Chris Letang, when this guy gets hurt, he's usually gone for like a long time. Then he was like back the next game. Uh, Varlamov, I, that's my experience also as a former Varlamov owner. Like he's like, oh, he's tweaked his groin. He might be out for a little bit. Next thing you know, it's like a month later and he still hasn't played so yeah in the meantime pavel francis was called up a lot of people actually thought he'd get the start on friday versus the rangers after grubauer was terrible and got pulled in the wednesday game versus san jose but grubauer did get that friday start and he got the easy 6-1 win over the rangers brian should we just assume this is grubauer's net until varlamov is back or is francis going to challenge maybe i should also just ask who the heck is pavel francis uh, but co- either way, like I think he's going to get at least a start because co- Colorado has a back-to-back next week on Tuesday and Wednesday at Winnipeg and then at Calgary. So those are going to be two tough games. And I can't imagine you'd want to put Philip Grubauer in those two games in a row. So I think Francis can get in in one of them, but that might be a tough you know, spot start if you want to add Francis for the game because that's probably a game that they're going to lose. Right. So that's a situation where you're, you need to weigh the risk uh, of what happens whether you play Francis or not. And, and props on that pronunciation, Elon. I wasn't sure we were going to get that one down. A good leadership in there. Uh, so Pavel Francis is somebody who, like, I don't think he's worth rostering, like maybe worth a spot start. Um, he certainly did seem to impress coach Jared Bednar um, the, when he came on for relief for Grubauer. And then you mentioned Elon, like they were hemming and hawing, oh, maybe we'll start Francis. And then it was Grubauer again anyway. Um, but it seems like Francis has probably earned himself a start somewhere and we'll see what he can do with it but i do think that uh, like longer term he's probably not going to be the guy in colorado this year even if varlamov is out for a lengthier amount of time than we imagine uh grubauer seems to be uh someone capable of being a starter on a playoff contending team he just hasn't been doing so well so far but i have faith that he can turn it around so grubauer is the goalie you want in in colorado especially while varlamov remains day to day 
Yeah, and so who knows? Maybe Varlamov will be back next week. But in the meantime, I would definitely rush to grab Grubauer if you can, just to get. We know it's a lower body injury. I'm sure it's a groin injury, right? Or at least eighty uh, percent sure. Like that's what it usually is for Varlamov, and that's plagued him throughout his career. So he could end up missing time. Uh, let's go to Columbus. I don't. I couldn't really think of a good take on Columbus. So I'm just going to recycle an old take I had, which is that I'm still nervous about Atkinson and Dubois for if slash when Artemi Panarin leaves the team. Like, they've both been great. They've both been having an amazing season. I'm talking about Atkinson and Dubois. But Panarin is, like, otherworldly, right? He's on a seven-game point streak right now. He's on a 95-point pace on the season, which would crush his career high of 82 that he set last year. I didn't go back and check what our projection was for Panarin, but I'm, I'm sure we just said, like, 85 or something. I didn't think we would, he would even take another step forward. But, of course, he has. But we all know that he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, and he said that he doesn't want to go back to Columbus. So maybe he gets traded at the trade deadline. Line, or maybe he get just you know signed somewhere in the summer but you know in a keeper league your Atkinsons and your Dubois they're gonna have a new winger that is not as good by a long shot so I would just say watch out for those guys maybe sell high now before it's too late or maybe Brian you're gonna tell me that I'm crazy and Atkinson and Dubois are so good that they'll be able to get points even without Panarin uh no I'm not gonna tell you that I mean I think they're both quality players who still could very well score goals without Artemi Panarin of course they would but not as many uh, but Panarin, like you look at the numbers of Dubois with and without Panarin and the numbers of Atkinson with and without Panarin, and it is night and day. Um, thank goodness that they have been with Panarin for pretty much uh, the entire season. Uh, there have been stretches here and there like where they're away and it's a small sample, but you can see that they suffer. They get fewer shots on net. They score fewer goals per 60 minutes. They face more shots against per 60 minutes. So uh, it wouldn't be a good thing for them, nor would it be for any NHL player if they were suddenly no longer paired with Artemi Panarin. Uh, my Columbus take, Elon, that I'll add since you don't have one, is how about Zach Wierenski having a nice bounce back here so far? He just had a six-game point streak snapped Saturday night at Florida. He's now up to a 46-point pace, which may still not be entirely sustainable, um, but still, like, more than 40 points, hopefully 45 points. He got a couple looks on the top power play unit for a little bit, but nothing that seems to be lasting, which is a bummer. Uh, so, like, this isn't me getting excited about Zach Wierenski. It's just that you know, he's on a six-game point streak good for him also Oliver Bjorkstrand four points in his last six games uh, mostly in thanks to scoring three goals on his last seven shots so another guy who's seeing a small burst in production but probably is not sustainable yeah, forget about Oliver Bjorkstrand. Actually, Michael's saying something interesting in the chat. Not that that wasn't interesting, Brian. That was very cool. And, you know, yeah, I think sometimes we have to bring up these players who maybe people in fantasy are saying, ooh, look at this guy. They're, you know, they're sorting on Yahoo by last seven days or last 14 days total, seeing Bjorkstrand on the list. Then they wonder, oh, should I have this Bjorkstrand guy? Brian says, probably not. Michael in the chat room is saying that he has an update on the Panarin situation. The Pro Hockey Rumors article that he links says that Panarin now doesn't want to be traded and is open to the idea of an extension. So who knows? Maybe everything I'm saying, throw it out the window. Maybe uh, things have changed. Brian, can I be a jerk and question your methods a little bit uh, when you looked at this like with and without you numbers, with and without Panarin? Sure. So the thing that I think you're missing with that analysis is that when you look at like Dubois without Panarin, that's also Dubois not on the top line, right? That means that he was bumped by someone and is getting second line deployment. If Panarin was gone, Dubois would still be the top line center. So I don't think it's the same situation where you could just look at like how he does without Panarin uh, so far, because that would be him in a totally different situation where he's been bumped from top deployment. You know what okay, I'm saying? So, so if I told you what Dubois and Atkinson did with and without Panarin, like as a pair, would that be more yeah, effective? I guess so. 
Okay, you... so they, they still really stink. Or they don't but stink, even... but like relatively they stink. In fact, they kind of actually stink. They have a, a, a 38% shot attempt share when they're playing together, but without Artemi Panarin. And they have a 54% shot attempt share when they're playing together with Artemi Panarin. Wow. It's a okay. big swing. Where are you getting that? Uh, Natural Stat Trick has a very great line tool. Where you can uh, you can do all kinds of things with it. Then I'd be curious to know the sample size. Like, how often are they playing without Panarin? I guess maybe Panarin missed a game at some point. Well, the two of them have played without Panarin for a total of 82 minutes this season, and they've played together with Panarin for 412. So obviously, like, we're not going to take anything from an 82 minute sample, but I I think it's at least demonstrative that they're worse without Panarin. Right? It, It might not be that much worse, but they're worse. Well, yeah, for sure. I think Panarin is like a, a, a game changer for sure. Okay, let's go to Dallas now. Uh, what are we, like 50, 45 minutes in and well, I don't know, 10 teams and we're doing pretty well. Okay, Alex Radulov, Brian, we got to talk about this guy. Five assists in his last two games, up to 36 points in 32 games on the season. That's a 92-point pace for Alex Radulov, just like I think Elias Lindholm. I think he had the same number, 92. Uh, Radulov is actually leading the team in point pace right now. He's leading the Dallas Stars in point pace by a pretty large margin. Like Tyler Sagan is next on the list. He has 38 points in 42 games, which is like a, I don't know, 75, 80-point pace. And Radulov, like I said, 92-point pace. Like, have we not been giving Radulov enough credit? Like, I feel like we always talk about Ben and Sagan and who's playing with Ben and Sagan. Oh, yeah, Radulov's a really good piece. But we never think of it as like, oh, wow, lucky for Ben and Sagan to be playing with the superstar Radulov. You know, like we were just talking about Atkinson and Dubois being so lucky to be playing with Panarin. Is that the situation with Alex Radulov? He's doing so, so well. We got to give him some credit. Absolutely. I I don't know if I said this on the show or on the patrons only Facebook group, but Radulov is certainly one of the quietest point per game producers of the year so far. Actually, Elon, did you, how many, how many would you guess players are producing at above a point per game pace or at least a point per game pace so far this year? A lot, right? Like 30, 40. Yeah. It's like, I counted at least 40 who have played uh, 27 games or more. Uh, These get like it, the goals are coming. It's so exciting. What a time to be playing fantasy hockey. That's that's the real takeaway from this, right? It's not what a time to be watching hockey or cheering for hockey. Playing fantasy hockey is well, what's yeah. really exciting about all this goal scoring. Yeah, what a time to be getting push notifications whenever a goal is scored. And, you know, just all the time you're getting distracted. It's a blast. And also, <laughs> I have no attention span, by the way, for the rest of my life. Uh, in other news on Dallas, Anton Hudobin is making a great case to be the best backup of the year so far. Even more impressive with all these goals being scored. And yet, he's got a 924 save percentage in 19 games. Only eight wins, unfortunately. Not getting the run support that you'd expect on this Dallas team. Plus, like, lately he's been so good. Four straight quality starts for Hudobin. Bishop has played 26 games. Hudobin has played 19 games. So it's not even a huge disparity in games. Like Hudobin, I think, is a really valuable guy to own in fantasy. If your league counts, you know, like rate stats, plus he's going to get into a lot of games. Like I just feel like he might be the best backup available out there. Maybe it's not even fair to call him a backup. Maybe he's more like a 1B. He seems like a 1B right now, at least with the quality of his play. I I was actually surprised when Dallas announced they were going to Ben Bishop for their most recent game. And uh, he stopped 30 of 34 shots, still picks up the win, but maybe didn't deserve it with the way he played. Whereas you have Hudobin, who has been fantastic in the majority of his last six or seven starts. So... Uh, 
even with that, Bishop did get to start three in a row. One of those was really good. Another one was pretty good. Another one was not good. Uh, so I have to figure we see Hudobin again in net soon. Also, Elon, I just want to circle back to Radulov because you asked me a question that I didn't quite answer, which was, should we be saying that Sagan and Ben are lucky to play with him? And I think we we should be saying that. Like, Radulov works very hard. 58 of his 72 points last year were primaries, which means he was either the goal scorer or the first assist on a goal that was scored. And that's continued into this year. 26 of Radulov's 36 points so far this year are also primaries. So uh, way to go, Alex Radulov, for crushing it. And when I say 36 points, Elon, I don't mean... Uh, oh, what, what do, do you- I mean? How many points does he have total? Who are we talking about? Radulov? Radulov. Uh, I already moved on. I was ready to talk about Detroit here. I know, but I circled points, back. 36 points in 32 games for Radulov. Yeah, so 26 of those have been primary points. So I'm just trying to say Radulov is doing his part. He is not riding coattails. He is driving a lot of offense. Way to go, Alex Radulov. Uh, Jeff Perry. I-, I thought for a second I said Jeff Petrie. But Jeff in the chat room said, uh, talk about Miro Haskinen. So, okay, he's not doing much. He's had a two-goal game and nine shots against the Devils in this big 5-4 win uh, earlier in the week. But aside from that, I see a whole bunch of zeros in his game log, which I guess is to be expected when you're on this Dallas team that isn't scoring so, so much. And, you know, he's not the, you know, like uh, Klingberg is back. Haskinen is still getting lots of ice time. He's on the all-star team. Uh, he's going to be great. Uh, I don't know how viable he's going to be in fantasy. Brian, you talked about him, I think, last week or we talked about a couple weeks ago, like maybe 30 to 35, maybe upside 40 point guy moving forward at the best, best case. Yeah, I think I think you're hoping that he gets to 40 points this year, which is going to be really hard given the 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 fact that he's not on the top power play unless Klingberg is injured, which happened, and he didn't even take such full advantage of that uh, just four power play points on the year. So yeah, keep your expectations tempered for Haskinen. Uh, 30. Yeah, 35, 40 points is is about where I'd expect him to yeah. land. But if you're rebuilding on a dynasty team, like maybe take this like big long stretch of pointless games and use that to buy him for cheap because I think he's going to be a real gem in fantasy. We're going to be talking about him on Keeping Carlson for years and years to come. I wonder what's going to last longer, Haskinen being an amazing player or Keeping Carlson being on the air. But okay, let's now go to the Detroit Red Wings. Lots of outjuries recently. Athanasiu's back. Mantha's back. Apparently Mike Green has been skating. He may be back next week. So great news for the Red Wings, unless of course they're trying to tank, in which case this is bad news. But we'll assume they're trying to win games. So Mantha returned from his hand injury on Friday. He played in a middle six line, playing with Nielsen and Vonick. And then Athanasiu was playing on another middle six line. I guess I can't decide which line is higher. Uh, he was playing with Helm and Glenn Denning. And then the top line was Larkin with Nyquist and Tyler Bertuzzi. So a uh, fun little, you know, mixing and matching of players on Detroit. They've got like decent players on each of their lines. Okay, so no points for Anthony Mantha in his return. He had three shots. Uh, he was on the second power play. So not looking too great. Athanasiu's actually had a much better return. He's got five points in his last five games from like I said like similar deployment as Mantha I assume that we if we were ranking these two you want to have Athanasiu over Mantha at this point and I'd be curious like how do they compare to someone like Tyler Bertuzzi who's on the top line and he scored a goal yesterday it's it's a lot of equal sort of options here right you've got six of one half a dozen of another in a lot of these cases right now Athanasiu is the hottest hand driven by four goals being scored on his last 15 shots um he does seem like a better bet to be uh, more to get more than 50 points uh, if you compare him to Anthony Matha or Tyler Bertuzzi I think the answer here between like which other Red Wing do you want is you want the guy playing with Dylan Larkin. Uh, Whoever's playing with him the most is the one you want. Uh, So right now that makes Tyler Bertuzzi somewhat attractive. Dylan Larkin has been 
amazing. If you haven't been watching, he's been as good as we hoped he'd be. Uh, and Bertuzzi is reaping the benefits with six points in his last 11 games, which isn't fantastic, but it's something and something that might still have gone under the radar enough to still be available in your free agency pool. Uh, if your league might be like, like if you need an, another player to stream into your lineup, Bertuzzi is a great choice. So is Athanasia. So is Mantha. The truth is that either of these guys could come out on top uh, on any given night, but I would place my bets on the one playing most often with Dylan Larkin. Uh, I wouldn't. Cause I think it's going to change so quickly that it's not even worth it. But if I, I would plant my flag on uh, Athanasia. I think he's taking a lot of shots, which I like, uh, but maybe Brian, you'll be right. Tyler Bertuzzi owned in two of the 16 cupful leagues. If my math is correct, 12.5%. So uh, a couple people agree with you. They might just be streaming him for today. Uh, but yeah, we'll find out in a week. Really the guy to own aside from Dylan Larkin is Gustav Nyquist. He has 35 points in 43 games. That's a 67 point pace for Gustav Nyquist. This is back to what he was doing when he first broke out way back when, like season one of keeping Carlson. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he could, like, I think he's the most likely to be sticking with Larkin all season long on both like the top line and the top power play. And I think he's going to continue to reap the benefits. So anyone who jumped on Nyquist, who was a free agent with a lot of leagues earlier in the year, like good on you. That was a really smart ad. Let's go over to the Edmonton Oilers now. Rough game yesterday versus LA. So I could tell you about some line combinations, but they're probably just going to shake it up. Even like today, they're playing again against Anaheim. Uh, Zach Cassian was on the top line with McDavid and Dreisaitl yesterday. Uh, Shason returned from injury and he joined Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Tobias Reeder on the second line. Uh, Ty Raddy's around. He's been seeing top power play time, but maybe he'll get bumped by Shason, who was there before he got injured. Uh, Pooley Arvey toiling in the bottom six. If you recall a couple weeks ago, he got a crack on the top line. We were wondering if he'd be able to stick there. Nope. Uh, Yamamoto got called up, but he's been injured, so he hasn't really played. Uh, but I don't know. Like, is there any Oilers forward aside from the obvious three on your radar at this point? I kind of feel like, like normally we say take who's ever playing with McDavid, but at this point, I kind of almost feel like don't even bother because I, I, I let someone at least stay there for like two games before you jump on him because otherwise he might just be a waste of a move. Right, because you might add the guy who's playing with McDavid in the last game and then he's no longer with McDavid. But that's the risk you run anytime you try and add that third piece on McDavid's line. Uh, but you're right, Elon, there's really like it's a really sad state of affairs in Edmonton right now. The only guy you didn't mention that might still be worth rostering, actually that's definitely worth rostering, is Darnell Nurse, who's had a great 14 game stretch. Elon, do you know how many points he has his last 14 games? Um, okay, so first of all, I was only talking about forwards. Uh, so yeah, but uh, yeah, Darnell Nurse, who we said definitely add when Clef Baum got injured. I don't know, like what, 11 points in 14 games? Let's oh, say. wow, you're so close. 12 points in his last 14 games, three goals, nine assists, four power play points. He's been taking full advantage of being the guy in Edmonton. And remember, if you're on the top power play in Edmonton, you're seeing a lot of time. He's seeing uh, over an 80% share of his team's power play time in most of the last, well, 14 games or so. So uh, there's no chance he's still a free agent in most leagues. But if, if he happens to be, he's worth owning. Yeah, for sure. For as long as Clefbaum is out. And if you're in a multi-category league, he's probably even worth owning when Clefbaum is back. But that's still, I guess, like, what, a, a month away, at least. Uh, okay, on to the Florida Panthers. Sunny Florida. Here's a quick behind the scenes of how I prep the shows for keeping Carlson. I have a Trello board. Trello's a cool app 
Uh, we're not being promoted by Trello, so I don't know. I won't say them anymore, but I use a board and I sort of have a bunch of lists. I have injuries, outjuries, hot streaks, cold streaks. And then, you know, all throughout the week, like just living my life. Anytime I see any news about fancy hockey or we get a question or something, I just like add a player to that list so that I'll like, you know, have some ideas ready for what we're going to talk about on the week. And since it's been a while since I've done a show, you know, I wasn't on last week. So my list was pretty big. And I realized yesterday that I had Roberto Luongo in my cold streaks list twice. That's how cold he's been. That every single time he plays back, I'm like, I got to talk about Roberto Luongo. He sucks. He's been so bad. Lately, three straight, less than 900 save percentage games. That's brought him to a sad 896 save percentage in 20 games on the season. Reimer got the start yesterday, even on a non-back-to-back day, which is not great news for Luongo. Of course, Reimer's also bad. Like, he lost to Columbus 4-3. to Columbus has Artemi Panarin, so maybe it's not his fault. I don't know. Uh, Brian, what do, what do we do with Roberto Luongo moving forward? Like, should his owners be worried that this may be the end of the line for him? He is, like, 39 years old. Or is Luongo, like, the primo buy-low goalie option right now for the second half of the season his values at its absolute lowest florida should be a good team luongo has shown himself to be a solid goalie that's capable of bouncing back from like you know not playing so well so what do you think is he a buy low or is he get rid of him he's he's over i think he's well the thing is that you can't just get rid of him because james reimer is probably not going to run with the job either so if you want the starter on florida luongo is still a legit option even if he is having uh essentially the worst season of his career. Uh, he has the worst Delta save percentage in a long time. Um, probably the worst in his career. And I say probably the worst in his career, because if uh, we actually don't have the data to calculate expected save percentages, uh, that goes back all the way to the start of old man, Roberto Luongo's career. But uh, what I can tell you is that the way he's performing compared to his expected save percentage is uh, it's bad, significantly worse than most other seasons. And this is with him still somehow performing above average on the penalty kill. Um, it, but his five on five play has been so bad that it can't even be covered for with those above average shorthanded performances. So I don't know if Luongo is done, but given the injury troubles he's had, including working, working back from one that he's had just this season, you have to wonder if we're approaching the end of the line here. Uh, he could still end up being a decent buy low, but of course uh, you got to be very careful. There's a lot of risk taken on if you're trading for a 39 year old goalie who's struggling to find his game. I wouldn't want to bet too big on Luongo bouncing back. Uh, and I actually saw a rumor recently, and usually I don't mention rumors, but this one was interesting that uh, maybe the Panthers are interested in Sergei Bobrovsky. They could use a, a starting goaltender that doesn't leave them with a whole lot of question marks. And if Lou isn't going to be able to get his game together, maybe he's a candidate for them to uh, to try and acquire to go on a bit of a playoff run this year. Ooh, though of course Columbus is a good team. Like I feel like <laughs> under normal circumstances they're trying to sign Panarin and Bobrovsky, and now with this other rumor, like I don't know, I don't know what to trust. But <laughs> yeah, like the other problem with Luongo is he's a risk to get injured. So he's a tough guy to own. But if you can get him on the cheap, there is the upside there that he can turn it around. He's he's you know defied expectations before. Like back when he was 37 years old, we you know we thought that he was probably not going to be good anymore, and then he had a couple really great seasons. I'm going to throw in one more Florida take before we leave. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau with Alex Radulov as being one of the quietest point-per-game producers this year. 46 points in 40 games, 11 goals, 35 assists, 19 power play points. He was able to stick on that top power play unit in Florida, and it has been deadly. Uh, He actually, 19 power play points, is as many as he had in 82 games last year. So that's a big reason why Huberdeau is on pace for 94 points we had him for uh we we had a big question mark over his head but he has turned that question mark into a 
Punch in the face. Yeah, well, obviously, one of the main reasons he's been able to stick on that top power play is that Vincent Trocek has been out. There was, like, you know, one odd man out there. Uh, Trocek, by the way, is skating. So we don't know when he'll be back, but it looks like he's going to be back this season. It didn't, it, it looked like maybe he'd be gone for the season after that terrible injury. It looked really bad, but he's skating. I feel like uh, great news for anyone, obviously, great news for the Panthers. Great news maybe for Roberto Luongo to have Trocek back. Isn't he supposed to be a good defensive player? And also great news for any fantasy owner who likes to him in IR, maybe grabbed him out of free agency in leagues where there aren't that many IR spots. Uh, if he is available, like go get him. He's probably gonna be back soon. Like, how long does it take? He's already skating. Give him a couple weeks mo- at most. He's gonna be back soon. Uh, Brian, at Los Angeles, let's go across. We're in southern United States, but we're going across the way to sunny LA. Uh, with the team having trouble scoring lately, they shook things up yesterday. They bumped Alex Iofalo to line two. Don't, by the way, Brian, don't say Iofalo when it's your turn. Okay, we're past that. Okay. Alex Iafalo was bumped to the second line to play with uh, Jeff Carter, and Ilya Kovalchuk got his line one spot back with Kopitar and Brown. This is the line that we were expecting going into the season. Dustin Brown was injured. I feel like when Brown came back, maybe we saw Kovalchuk with Kopitar and Brown for like a game or two, but like that didn't last long. But now Ilya Kovalchuk back on line one, power play one. I guess it worked. Like LA lit up Koskinen and the Oilers yesterday. They got the 4 nothing win. Got to imagine the lines will stick since they had a nice game. So I guess my two questions to you are, A, is Alex follow now a snoozer? He's pointless in four games off the top line. Kind of seems like that runs probably over until he gets back there. And two, what's your interest in line one power play one Ilya Kovalchuk? He's likely available in free agency. He was pointless in five. He was having a terrible season. He had an assist yesterday, which is nice. I saw that he had a goal and then it got taken away, I think. So could have even been a goal and an assist. I just added him in the couple. Actually, someone asked early in the week, on our Facebook group, what do I do with Ilya Kovalchuk? And this is when he was like not on the top line. And I said, oh, I don't even think I'd add him if he was dropping the kerfuffle. And then Paul, who's like in first place with me in our division, he dropped Kovalchuk and commented, Elon, like I dropped him. So if you want him, you can have him. And I was like, eh, I don't think I will. But then like just yesterday, he uh, got on the top line and top, and he's been on the top power play. And I, just, I couldn't resist. And I actually dropped Brady Kachuk for Kovalchuk, who's another top line, top power play guy. So it might've been a risk. But I just kind of feel like I'd rather go with the oldie than the youngie. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but what, what do you think about Kovalchuk? Did I make a huge mistake? Uh, you still have the same amount of Chucks on your team, so you might be okay. Uh, just, you asked about Alex Ayafalo. If he's off the top line, then yeah, he's off your roster, essentially, and Kovalchuk is uh, an interesting guy to end up on the top line in LA. He's probably available, uh, and he hadn't seen more than 17 minutes in a night since November 10th. That's a stretch of about 15 games, and now Kovalchuk has seen above 17 minutes in each of the last two Kings contests. If there ever was a time to get re-interested in Kovalchuk, if you're one of the people interested at the start of the year uh, and lost interest, this could be the moment where Kovalchuk has uh, maybe a last chance to show that he can produce and contribute to that top line in LA. Uh, one thing I don't love is that he's still just getting like two shots on goal a game, which isn't great. If he's on that top line, I would love to be seeing him getting more opportunities to throw pucks on net. Yeah, so maybe it'll happen. Something to watch. I'd rather watch it with him on my team rather than in free agency or on someone else's team. So who knows? Maybe in a week from now, I'll be like, ah, forget it. Drop him. But for now, I'm happy to have him. Uh, also on LA, uh, Jeff in the chat room is saying Toffoli is a shot on goal beast. Uh, yeah, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago how Toffoli was taking a ton of shots. He scored a goal, I think the same day that we talked about him before. And then he scored a goal again yesterday. So maybe those percentages are going to start evening out. I'm going to continue expecting goals from Tyler Toffoli every once in a while. Also, Jack Campbell is back for the Kings. Uh, back from his injury, Cal Peterson goes 
comes out with a whimper. I guess he had that great start. Brian, just like you were talking about Aiden Hill, like Cal Peterson, but though he maybe would have continued to play well, but Jonathan Quick came back and then Peterson barely ever played. A nice return game for Jack Campbell, but probably not much advice that he can give. Like Quick has been doing fine. He's the obvious entrenched starter. So Jack Campbell's nothing more than a stream every once in a while when he gets a game. Yeah, exactly. Jack Campbell, uh, by the way, stopped 46 of 47 shots the other night on the road in Vegas. Uh, I watched that game and he earned so many of those saves. He was the only reason the Kings stayed in the game while they put like 18 shots on the Vegas net. So good for Jack Campbell. Seems like a good spot start still, even though he's on such a crummy team who can't score. Uh, But it does seem like Quick is going to get a lion's share of starts the rest of the way. Yeah, you'd think so. But hey, if Quick gets injured, jump on Jack Campbell, don't don't uh, dally, uh, you know, and you might not be around to have a Keeping Carlson episode ready for you right in that moment. So you're going to have to do this one on your own. Uh, let's go to Minnesota. Now, last time I did a show with you, Brian, we were talking about how the Wild were ice cold. They only had like three goals in their previous four games. Everyone was slumping, like Parisi was slumping, whatever. And you said like, I, you you got it right. Like you said, like, don't, like when the team is slumping, you obviously the players are going to do the same. I wouldn't worry about these cold streaks. And you were totally right. And now that has really changed. Zach Prezi is once again on fire. One goal and two assists versus Ottawa yesterday brought him to four goals and five assists in his last five games. That's nine points in his last five games. He's up to 38 points in 39 games on the season. So he's very close to joining that group of 40 or so players. That's over a point per game. Prezi has been playing on a line with like not even great line mates. You would think like he's been playing with one of your former favorites, actually Charlie Cole who had two assists yesterday and he's up to six points in his last four games and then a guy named Luke Coonan who I've never heard of but also had two assists yesterday and he's got four assists in his last four games so Brian uh these Parisi line mates Coyle and Coonan is like is Coyle someone people should be looking to add in a deep league like assuming that Parisi and Granlin and Stahl and Koivu like whatever the main guys are all taken and like by the way Minnesota plays Monday Tuesday next week so it might even be just good to stream one of these guys in for a couple of games there's a little, a little streaming advice for you uh like Brian who would you rather have between Charlie Coyle and Jason Zucker, who's getting better deployment, I would think, than Coyle, but doing nothing with it. Only one goal in his last nine games. So curious to know your take on those two guys. And I guess you could also throw out who the heck is Luke Coonan. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would prefer Jason Zucker over Charlie Coyle for sure. Uh, Zucker has increased his shot attempts for 60 minutes this season, which were already high, but he just is not converting as often as we'd seen him convert the last couple seasons. Zucker has just one goal on his last 37 shots. That has to turn, and when it does, you'll be happy you own him instead of Charlie Coyle, who is still doing well. Like He's not chopped liver. That Coyle-Parisi-Kunin line is doing well. One reason they're doing well is because 70% of their face-offs are being taken in the offensive zone. Another reason they're doing well is that that line is scoring on 16% of their shots. So some of Coyle's success coming from that line's fortune and deployment, which is nice, but not necessarily sustainable. To Charlie Coyle's credit, he's also still rocking the highest five-on-five shot attempt rates of his career, so it's not like all luck. I guess I'll go and say Coyle could get 50 points, but I'm not putting him down for a whole lot more. In the short term, he makes an excellent stream, though. Um, He is getting second power play deployment, but that's only been worth three points in so far, so I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. Yeah. Okay, I think Charlie Coyle, for sure, ride out this hot streak for as long as you can, but I agree with you. Like, probably not a full season own, but especially with a nice schedule to start next week, why not have Charlie Coyle if you can get him, if it's a deep enough league where all the other typical guys are owned already, and then see what you can get out of him. Uh, Let's go to the Habs in Montreal. Shea Weber's goal yesterday brought him to 12 points in 18 games. That's a 55-point pace for Shea Weber, which would be his best point pace 
since like five years ago. He had 56 points five years ago with the Preds. So like Shea Weber's 33 years old and still just plugging on like 32. He's also providing, you know, big hit numbers and decent block and shot production. So in multi-category leagues, Shea Weber is so, so good. In fact, Brian, I want to throw... And as someone who I, I'm one of these jerks who like gives advice on something that they know nothing about, cause I'm not in a dynasty league, but I feel like if you're in a bangers dynasty league and you're looking to compete right now, I feel like Weber's the type of guy that you can get for cheap just cause you know, people will think of him. Ah, oh, this guy's old. Like he's about to fall off, but he's like doing as good as he's ever done. I wonder if you could get Shea Weber for like a young gun, like Sergachev or Charlie McAvoy or someone, you know, who someone who will maybe one day be lucky enough to approach what Weber is able to do right now. So I don't know. Like, are you, am I being too high on Shea Weber? Like, are you seeing any reason in his PDO Corsi to expect his current production to subside? Uh, how many more, like, and also I'd be curious to see, like, how many more years do you think he can be, like, around a 55, 50, 55-point defenseman in the league? Like, I know we talked about Crosby, I guess it was last year, and you said, like, I, you'll give him, like, a long more time because he's such an elite player. Is, is Weber similar? Like, is he the type of guy that can continue to produce for, like, two, three more years? Yeah, I like, I would definitely give him one more year after this one to come up with the production that he, that he's put up. Uh, keep in mind, Weber is already 33 years old. So next year is his age 34 season. So like, I'll give him that. I don't know where I'll have him in his age 35 season. If I, if I still like maybe 50 points is still reasonable for him there. Um, but uh, but of course, you're going to get diminishing returns as he gets older. Elon, I imagine you're talking about a keeper league when you're like, should I offer Sergachev or McAvoy? Right, yeah, I said, remember, my okay. whole, I, you probably listen, I said, like, I'm not in one, but I'm talking about a dynasty. Uh, okay. League. Yeah, so I would do it. Like, win today, right? And even, like, how long is it going to be till Sergachev or McAvoy even get the crack at a top power play unit? And when they do, how well are they going to be able to? I don't know. I would rather go for the guy who you know is going to help you today. And Shea Weber is that guy. He gets almost three shots per game, can be counted on to score on about like nine or 10% of those shots. And the reason to be high on Weber this year, like, and be really happy, he's got 12 points in 18 games. And to, to be even happier about that is that just one of those 12 points have come on the power play. So in 18 games, just one power play point, which means eh, there's probably room to improve there. Um, the Habs have only scored three power play goals with Weber on the ice and Weber was the guy who scored one of those three so it's not like he's doing anything wrong a whole lot personally uh one thing I did notice is that he's attempting a lot fewer shots than he has historically on the power play I'm not sure what that's a function of I imagine if Montreal continues to struggle on the power play that that will change quickly I also figure that he can still pick up assists if he's not uh, the one taking quite as many shots as he has in the past on the power play. So Shea Weber having a great year so far without power play production, and you can expect some more to come on top of what he's already had. Yeah, I mean, you say win now. I'm thinking like Shea Weber win now and win like next year and maybe even the following year. Like, yeah, but also I'd be curious. Like, tweeted us at Keeping Carlson if you're in a dynasty league. Am I totally off the wall? Like, would my trade offer of Sergachev or McAvoy for Weber be laughed at, or is that the type of thing you could see going down? I just get this impression from the questions we get in our Facebook group or on Twitter that like these young players are just valued so so high for their potential to maybe be one day almost as good as Shea Weber. Okay, uh, let's go to the Weber's former team, Nashville Predators. The Preds likely have the best streaming schedule for next week. They play. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. So three off days. And also I love the guys you could grab that are playing early in the week. So you can like grab them now and then you could reassess if you want to hold them for the end. And not only do the Predators have a great streaming schedule for next week, they also have some appealing players who might still be available to you in free agency, specifically Craig Smith and Kevin Fiala. I don't know how deep your league is, dear listener, but if you could grab either of these guys, they are scorching right now. Craig Smith scored twice yesterday, his third straight game scoring a goal, his fifth straight game getting a point. 
He only played 11 minutes and 36 seconds versus the Habs yesterday, but he scored two goals. So I don't know like what that's about. Maybe I don't even know. Like I, I was thinking maybe like since they won the game, they were just deciding to give, you know, other play- like they won four to one, right? So maybe they let the bottom lines play more minutes to get some practice. I, I don't know how it works. Uh, Kevin Fiala had an assist in that game yesterday. That brings him to one goal and five assists in his last five games. So they're both playing on this like second line. And I don't know what's going to happen. Like Philip Forsberg might be back soon. Things will get shaken up. But generally it's been Smith, Fiala and Kyle Turris on the second line uh Turris is injured right now uh right now they're also going three forwards on the top power play i don't know if that's going to change when forsberg is back either way i like both of these guys brian like who do you like better between the two if if our listener wants to stream one of them for next week and also are either worth uh like holding long term on your fantasy team like for the rest of the season so did you say that craig smith like might have seen less time because nashville was already winning yeah, so maybe that. Yeah, that was just my like crazy idea. Maybe they decided let's let the young guys play more since uh, we're already going to win this game. Right, right. Yeah. So I don't know that that was the case. Actually, Craig Smith took more of a break in the second period rather than the first and third. And like usually, you don't see time on ice being subject to score effects unless it's a total blowout or like someone's injured or they're resting ahead of the playoffs. So I don't know that that uh, like that him scoring two goals and Nashville being up. I don't know why he played so many fewer minutes than he normally does. Elon, you should be a beat writer and ask coaches these things. Like, what a great thing to uncover. Um, But Craig Smith, normally he plays normal minutes, and he's a great Swiss Army knife for your lineup at pretty much any time of the season. Between him and Fiala, I prefer Smith just for his consistency and occasional turns on the top power play. Fiala probably has the higher ceiling, but he has shown uh, a lot of trouble in actually being able to regularly contribute to either the Nashville Predators success or your own fantasy roster. Uh, By the way, have you noticed the Nashville power play set up, Elon? They're currently running three forwards and two defensemen. Who do you think the three forwards are? Uh, Johansson, Arvidsson, and yeah, like some some schmo, Ryan Hartman. It's you're essentially Cali Yarncrock is the third forward, and they have they have Roman Yosi and Ryan Ellis uh, running the blue line. And Yarncrock doesn't even have power play points, but he does have points in two straight games and decent shots on goal. So could be a good a decent deep stream if guys like Smith and Fiala are already gone. Yeah, I feel like Philip Forsberg will be back soon and then we'll shake this all up. Maybe get back to our old top power play. Maybe even P.K. Subban takes over on that top unit because maybe they like having Ellis and uh, who was it? Oh yeah, Roman Yosi, like as the two defensemen on another power play unit. I don't know. Okay, let's go to New Jersey now. Taylor Hall has missed five games with a lower body injury. We still don't know when he'll be back. We had an, another interesting debate, Brian. Uh, you touched on it actually on last week's show very quickly, but whether Kyle Palmieri would be hurt with Hall being out, like if that would hurt his production. I said, like, I didn't think it would be too bad since, like, if anything, he'll just take more shots, you know, to make up for the fact that Taylor Hall's out there to take shots. Maybe a more focal point of the offense in Hall's absence. I'd say so far, the results are inconclusive. Like, obviously, you had good reasons on your side, just like just like what we were saying before about playing away from Panarin. Obviously, it'd be the same thing, like playing away from a star player. It's not as good. Uh, I'd say so far, the results are inconclusive, right? Three points in five games for Paul Mary with no Hall. Actually, Nico Hishier has been even better in these last five games. He's got five points in five games in that span. And actually 15 points in his last 17 games. So he sure is really heated up after a cold run through November. 
Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if you want to touch on that debate or not. Maybe it doesn't matter. Hopefully Hall will be back soon and he's sheer and Paul Mary will be fine. But they've been fine enough, even with Holloway. Jesper Bratt is the one who jumped onto the top line to play with Paul Mary and Hishir, and he has two points in his last three games. So what do you think about Jesper Bratt? Like, is he the type of guy that interests you on that line in Hall's absence? Is he like kind of similar to a uh, Casey Middlestat who's taking over for an injured superstar over in Buffalo? Well, first I will touch on Kyle Palmieri and how he is quantitatively better off with Taylor Hall uh, than without him. And yeah, you could say that when Taylor Hall's out, Palmieri becomes the focal point of the offense, but he probably becomes the focal point of the other team's defense as well, where, you know, Hall attracts a certain amount of attention and Palmieri can benefit from attention being elsewhere. Um Look, I, I mean, Palmieri's a good player. I don't expect him to take a star turn while Hall is out. Uh, he gets to be the go-to guy, and hopefully he can keep up some measure of his production while Taylor Hall is not with him. But he is not, uh, I wouldn't say he's at all better off without Taylor Hall. As for Jesper Bratt, uh, he's not the worst. A decent third wheel, better than uh, Evan Rodriguez or Casey Middlestad or whatever Buffalo option on the third line is. Um, like, just more talented, I think. So uh, I would give Jesper Brett a, a, a shot on my team if I was looking to stream somebody in. I don't know if I take, like, the difference between him and Middlestad is that I like Brett's skill level better at this point, but I don't like his line mates quite as much. So there's that, that trade-off that I'm trying to work out in my head. Who would you take? Uh, I think I would go with Middlestad if he was actually there for sure playing with Skinner and Reinhardt. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, but I didn't say, by the way, Brian, that I thought Palmieri's like better off with Hall injured. I just I feel like you said something like, "Uh oh, like that's not good for Palmieri," and I was just like, "I think he'll be fine." Like I wasn't saying he's better off. I just think I didn't think he'd do so badly. But uh, we're nitpicking here. Uh, also on New Jersey, Mackenzie Blackwood left Friday's game with a lower body injury and didn't practice yesterday. So that sucks. Like I was curious to see how he'll continue to do. He has a nine forty seven save percentage in eight games so far. His last game wasn't so great, so I was curious to see how he would bounce back. I add him to my Cupful team. I'm hoping he'll be back soon to continue this great run. If he misses time, I guess Keith Kincaid gets another chance to earn the job back The job back before like it's gone for good. I feel like this job of Keith Kincaid's might be almost gone, right? Like If I'm counting right, according to Dauber's Frozen Tools, he only has three quality starts in his last 13 games. So that's 10 of his last 13 have been just bad starts where you wish you didn't start him on your fantasy team. So Keith Kincaid has been bad, bad, bad. I wonder if Blackwood ends up being out for a while, if like there's some other goalie on New Jersey that ends up getting starts over Keith Kincaid. Yeah, in Kincaid's last 10, he has an 876 save percentage. It's ugly. He's given up 30 goals in those 10 games uh, and obviously not facing quite enough shots to make that be okay. Like, you know, three goals a game can be okay if you're facing 30 shots on goal a game. But Keith Kincaid uh, has not been facing that many shots when he's giving up 30 goals. So uh, a real bummer for anyone who thought he could grab this job by the horns, but he does get one last gasp at trying to to prove that he can hold down this job for as long as Mackenzie Blackwood is out. If anybody's looking for the next guy in line, Cam Johnston was called up uh, by New Jersey today. So he'll be Keith Kincaid's backup for as long as Mackenzie Blackwood is out of the lineup. 
Yeah, and like I'm tempted to just laugh, like, oh, okay, yeah, grab Cam Johnson. Who the heck is he? But I would have said the same thing about Mackenzie Blackwood a couple weeks ago, and now look at how good he's been. So uh, I'm not going to snicker at all. I might actually consider adding Cam Johnson, though we don't know how long uh, Mackenzie Blackwood will be injured. So maybe he'll be back soon. He's only yeah, and, at the moment. And, Mc- and Mackenzie Blackwood in the HL was a 9 11 and 15 games before getting called up. Uh, Cam Johnson is an 866 this season in 14 AHL contests. In fact, uh, he's also played time in the ECHL this year where he was obviously better. Well, not obviously, but he was better than his AHL numbers. But that doesn't account for a whole lot. Okay, let's go to the New York Islanders now. I think, uh, speaking of goalies, Robin Leonard seems to have stolen the job for the Islanders. Like, we talked about them, like, Grice and Leonard, like, maybe a month ago. And I feel like we both just landed on, yeah, it's going to be a 50-50 for the rest of the season. We're idiots. We were totally wrong. It's now seven straight wins for Robin Leonard. And he had his fourth straight start yesterday against the Blues for another win. It was actually the sixth straight game he played in because Thomas Grice had a game in between there against the Sens and he got pulled and then Leonard came in and the Isles came back and won the game. Uh, Leonard's now up to a 927 save percentage in 21 games, looking like the Robin Leonard the Sabres thought they were trading for way back when. Like he's looking so, so good. I feel like at this point, obviously Robin Leonard's owned in your league and you should be happy if you have him. And Thomas Grice, probably you could drop him, right? Yeah, Thomas Grice, it's almost like Grice and Lehner switched places, at least to some degree. Uh, Grice was a 938 goalie over his first 10 appearances this year. Uh, in his last 13, he's a 902 goalie. That said, he's still like uh, one spot ahead in the league rankings in goals saved above average per 60 minutes. Uh, Lehner ranks seventh, Grice ranks sixth in that category. Um, but Lehner seems like if he keeps playing this way, he can overtake Grice. He's only given up five goals against in his last five starts and had a relief appearance in there too, where he stopped all 10 shots against. Um, Lehner's stopping more pucks at five on five than an average goalie would in his skates for the first time in his career. So uh, way to go, Robin Lehner. And you know, way to go, Barry Trotz and the New York Islanders for changing from a team whose goalies were essentially screwed every time they started to a team where uh, they can actually offer their goalies both some run support and some defensive support. And that is really showing in Laner's numbers. Yeah. And uh, by the way, on the Islanders, I wanted to bring up Josh Bailey. Like he was on a good run recently. So maybe overall his numbers don't look so bad, but I'm like, as an owner of him, I'm getting really frustrated having Josh Bailey. He only has one assist and five shots in his last four games. Like doesn't also get any peripherals. So he really does nothing for you unless he gets like one of these rare assists. And he was just bumped from the top power play. Like it was Josh Hosang there for a bit. And then Brock Nelson there yesterday. So like, do you think Josh Bailey's going to get back on the top power play on the Islanders? Or are we looking at like sort of a top line guy? He does play with Barzal and Beauvilliers, even strength, but like with no peripherals and no power play time i kind of feel like he becomes like a borderline own in a lot of formats unless you tell me you think he's gonna get back on that top power play. like i'm just getting very frustrated i have him in my cupful team i'm gonna hold on for now but like I, i'm so close to dropping this guy i mean you look at the top power play and you see brock nelson who trot seems to like so maybe this is like a bit of a reward for him you see jordan eberly these are two guys who might not be locks to stay on the top power play ahead of Josh Bailey. And Elon, I honestly think you're kind of crazy. Even if he does stay off the top power play, Bailey's on a 64 point pace through 40 games. He has eight goals and 23 assists for 31 points. And it's not a thing 
to drop guys who are on 64-point paces, even if they are temporarily, hopefully, off the top power play unit. I mean, you mentioned that he hasn't been getting a lot of shots. He's never been a big shooter. He usually gets about two shots per game. I know he's only been getting one shot per game, but that's a difference you can probably handle. There have been a few stretches this season where Bailey's gone quiet for about four games at a time, but he's been gangbusters the rest of the way. So no, don't give up on Josh Bailey, who can probably still finish the year above 55 points, even without that top power play role, helping him contribute consistently. I don't know. I mean, what you say in words is different than what you say in numbers. If you say he could end the year above 55 points, if he's currently on a 65-point pace, then basically you're saying he's going to be 45-point pace the rest of the way? Like, that doesn't interest me. <laughs> and, and by the way, I did just drop someone. I dropped Brady Kachuk, who has 20 points in 32 games. For, oh, it's a 51-point pace. Okay, so yeah, that's, that's a droppable pace. I don't know. I mean, at some point, though, you can't trust... Like, you know, when we were debating, oh, we'll get to this in a little bit, on the Sens, and we were talking about Nilsson and Craig Anderson, and you were saying how, like, like Ottawa's not that, you know, whatever. We'll get to that. But like Ottawa had a great start to the season. But how does that help me now? Like at the start of the season, Thomas Shabbat was around and doing it. I don't know. So I feel like the Islanders were doing great at the beginning of the year. And that accounts for a lot of Josh Bailey's points. But he did have a run lately. So my listeners, I'm going to hang on to him for a little bit. You could do the same. But I'm checking back in in a week or two. And sure. we're going to see if Brian gives us permission. I mean, I get it. Maybe you can sell high, Elon, if you're really having no. a hard time holding I tried. Him. Don't like say. But he has you- 10 power play points so far this year. Last year, he had 31 power play points. Why would that be? somebody that the islanders keep off their top power like if he am i right to expect that if he gets back onto the top power play and i get he hasn't been there for like eight games now but if he gets back up there you're happy to have him right like you wouldn't even think twice i would think a little bit but yeah not as much but yeah obviously i'd like him better yeah, I just, I, how good is your team? I mean, I know your team is amazing that you're like, oh, this guy, I can probably let him go. I can probably risk that he's not going to be a 60-point player the rest of the season, even though he's a, he's a reasonably sustainable 64-point uh, pace right now. All right, so let's see uh, what happens. I'm going to hold on. I will say, Brian, that like your little advice of, oh, you should sell high, then you get an easy thing to throw out there on a podcast. <laughs> I've tried it in practice and everyone says they're not interested in Josh well, Bailey. That's because you are like they've hasn't everyone in your league made a pact to not trade with you. <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> so like I don't it's, no, but I've even it's harder back- for you to sell high on Josh Bailey than it is for others. You're right <laughs> that it's generally not easy, though. Uh, like no but i've even still back channeled with some people and had trade discussions and i've thrown out different players that they were interested in and then when i said josh bailey they've been like nah i don't, I don't want him he doesn't interest me okay uh we got to move on y- you told me uh like last week that you want to talk about ryan pulak do you, do you still want to talk about him or can we, or can we not he had a nice little run of goal, seven assists for eight points in seven games where he had 15 shots. Unfortunately, still was not enough to get a sniff of the top power play unit. Uh, it was a nice glimpse of production from him, though, especially from those like myself who've held him all year waiting like Kelly Clarkson for a moment like this. <laughs> Who's getting on the top power play sooner, Bailey or Pulak? Bailey. Okay, I hope so. Uh, Rangers, uh, speaking of the top power play, Kevin Shattenkirk is back. Did anyone notice he was injured? But now he's back. Uh, He had one assist in each of his first two games. Uh, Nothing versus Colorado on Friday, but he did reclaim power play one duties from, I guess, the fifth forward that they were using for a bit. And then Neil Pionk before him. Brian, by the way, we've been er strongly urged to say his name correctly. It's not Pionk. It's Pionk. So we'll, we'll get that right moving forward. Thank you for, I wish I wrote the name of the person who told me, but thank you. It was, some, it was one of our patrons. Uh, 
I was surprised, Brian, actually. Yesterday or last week on the podcast, we had Marcus and the Average Time on Ice crew. They were really pumping up Neil Pionk as like this like great guy that was like such a great steal in drafts. And you like you were saying, like, I'm not so into him anymore, but then they were really pushing how like this guy's so great, he's gonna be fine. I feel like no. <laughs> like, I think you could drop him in most leagues, especially if Shattenkirk is gonna take that top power play role now, as he was supposed to at the start of the year. I'm good to uh, tell people that they can drop Pionk. Do you agree? Or do you think that they should hold on because he had that great start? Uh, he is pointless in six, right? Yeah. And he wasn't doing much before then. Like, it's been a while since Pionk's been a good producer. And now he seems to be the third best choice for the top power play unit in New York. Uh, of course, the Rangers were trying this five forward setup for a while, which is, uh, you know, they have Shattenkirk there. Like, he's being paid to quarterback a power play. And they still would rather throw five forwards out there and see what happens. Uh, But now he's there um, instead of the fifth forward, which is great for Shattenkirk. Uh, This is a chance for him to prove himself anew. I still have faith he can do it. Um, Like, yeah. So if I can drop Pionk, did I say it right? Yeah, Pionk. Pionk. If I can drop Pionk for Shattenkirk, uh, I'm going to do that. Because Shattenkirk is the favored guy right now. And if you're giving up Pionk, you're really not giving up a whole lot right now. Yeah, I agree. You could probably let him go. Or, or you could hang on. I'm sure the average time of nice people, especially the Ranger fan contingent among them, will not be happy with us saying that. But we're saying to drop him for Shattenkirk, right? So it's, you're still getting a Ranger. Uh, over to the Sens. Craig Anderson's still out with his concussion, though he has been skating, uh, apparently. So maybe he'll be back somewhat soon. But the Sens decided they needed to do something with their goaltending. So they traded their crappy backup, Mike McKenna, to the Canucks for, I guess, not as crappy, but still not great backup, Anders Nilsson. So uh, there's also some other names, no names in the trade and a, and a pick, but whatever. Basically, they got Nilsson and they traded McKenna, who who afterwards was waived by the Canucks. So yet another fun debate, Brian, that we had over the past. We've been texting each other a lot. Like, I shouldn't show my wife my phone. She's like, why are you talking to Brian so much? Why don't you talk to me as much as you talk to Brian? But yeah, we had a debate about whether Nilsson will be worth owning. You were suggesting maybe to add him in our like mainly wins only league for goalies. And I was kind of like, eh, like I, I'm so, I'd be so surprised to see him winning more than like a one game game every like three four weeks so i don't know like he played his first game for the Sens yesterday he was very nielsen schmilskin-esque like he let in four goals on 26 shots and a 4-3 loss to the wild is like also like i don't even know is he for sure even the number one goalie while anderson is out or does marcus hogberg have an equal shot at getting starts i feel like they'll just both jockey maybe play 50 percent of the time i don't know like i'm not too into anders nielsen what do you think to me i feel like there even if he were the starter i still wouldn't want him because i i'm very i'd be very surprised to see the Sens win games i think they're probably the worst team in the league right now especially with thomas shabbat out that just makes them seem like so unwinnable to me is that a word okay i'll just uh, let you talk uh, yeah, no, I'm there, there, you're close to using a word that exists to describe them. I mean, let's be clear. Ottawa is awful. They stink. Owning their goalie is not a fun thing to do to your fantasy team and to your mental well-being. That said, Elon, with the way like you'd had at least a passing interest in guys like Delia. Uh, I'm going to throw Koskinen in there uh, because Edmonton is garbage now. Uh, Blackwood, uh, New Jersey's okay, but more, I guess I should go back to the bottom barrel teams like Aiden Hill, Carter Hart, uh, Bernier, Peterson, Campbell. Like when they had the opportunities to step in for their teams, you were like, oh yeah, I'm, I, or at least I felt like you were more interested in them than you were with Anders Nielsen, even though they're also on crummy teams. Like again, Ottawa stinks, but so do Chicago. Uh, so does Philadelphia. And I don't know that the magnitude of difference between those bottom teams in Ottawa is so high that you can just uh, like forget about Nielsen entirely. Like he is one of the more established guys of this group, even though if he's established uh, as like a Darcy Kemper type who is like, ah, oh, he's 
probably an NHL backup, not a whole lot better. Uh, you did bring up the point when we were talking about if it's worth owning Nielsen. You're like, well, Anderson, to get a win, he had to stand on his head. And that was, yeah, I think that was true. I think it, that was a good point you made. Eight of Anderson's 14 wins uh, came with him getting a 919 save percentage or higher. Uh, that means uh, he rarely got a win if he was not playing above average himself. Uh, the team in front of him was not ready to help him win very many games if he wasn't ready to like stop at least three goals from going in. Um, so obviously Nilsson is not as good as Craig Anderson and might not be up to that challenge as much as Craig Anderson has been. So uh, there's reason to not be so fond of Anders Nilsson unless you're in a league which rewards uh, saves and shots against because I expect Nielsen to see a whole lot of those. He actually came in uh, in relief of Marcus Hogberg today. Hogberg gave up three goals on 13 shots, and the third one, looking at my Twitter feed, was a real doozy of a goal against. So uh, if anything, that just probably cements that Nielsen is going to get a next run of starts. Yeah. Uh, okay. Everything, I agree with everything you said, but I even would say that I put Andres Nilsson below Darcy Kemper in goalies who I have confidence in just yeah. in a vacuum. Like I think Nilsson's really bad, but Hey, maybe he'll be, I know he had a good run like two years ago. So maybe, yeah, he- I mean, he, he was good with, he had a good run with Buffalo, uh, but he, yeah, he, he never really, uh, and I think a brief one in Edmonton as well. There was a whole Nilsson or Talbot thing. And I was very much on team Talbot there and not team Nilsson. Uh, it just feels like, Here's a goalie that if Ottawa can manage to win a few games, he'll get in on it. But you're right. They're unlikely to manage to win a few games very often. Yeah, I think also because of him, right? Like, it's like they have Nils- They have to win a game with Nilsson as their goalie. That's yeah. very hard to do. Uh, okay, uh, Philadelphia, the Frozen Tools dashboard. So, okay, so another plug for Dauber's Frozen. I just really love it. So on the dashboard, if you just go to like frozentools.com, I think, or whatever, like it shows every single team. And then it even gives you a nice little like hot, some hot and cold players on each team, except for Philly, because for Philly under hot players, it says none. <laughs> so, but hey, but you know what? At least like there are some players who aren't cold. So I'm going to give that, to them not everyone is cold it's just nobody is hot at the moment uh one of the players who are neither hot nor cold is shane gossesbear who has two points in his last five games i guess that barely qualifies him as not being cold i'd imagine the algorithm is being nice to him to not include the previous pointless four games before his five games because that would be two points in his last nine games which i think would classify as cold i think if you look at his whole season you would definitely classify him as cold uh earlier in the week we had a tweet from reese stevens or at who is cragger and he asked us is it time to cut bait on Ghost? I could replace him with Wierenski off of waivers. And Brian, like you said, Wierenski's been great lately. Goss Behar, on the other hand, is six points behind Wierenski on the season. But like on the plus side, uh, unlike Wierenski, he's the one holding a top power play job. So what's your answer for Reese? Who would you rather have for the rest of the year, Goss Behar or Wierenski? I think I will take Gostas Bear because I think his floor is close enough to Wierenski's ceiling. Like, I don't see Wierenski... Okay, maybe that's that's too hard on Wierenski, but I don't see Wierenski having a great shot at beating 45, where I think Gostas Bear, even in a rough season, which I know it is, uh, can still manage 40-45 points. Uh, Ghost has just six points in his last 21 games, just one power play point in that stretch, which stinks, but there have been precious few opportunities in Philadelphia to pick up a power play point over the last two months the Flyers have scored just six power play goals since November 10th 
And that's one of the reasons why Ghost of Spare's point totals aren't climbing the way we'd hope. So it's not like, oh, he's only got one power play point in 20 games. No flyer could have had more than six. And like, that's a bit of a big gap, but there just have not been a lot of goals happening. Um, got Ghost of Spare's uh, shots and shot attempt rates are a little down. His on-ice shooting percentage is just in the tank, both on the power play and at five on five. And that's a team issue. And that's where like, that that's that's the big question mark for me is whether Philadelphia can get their house in order in time for their players like James Van Riemsdyk also to like salvage this season. I don't think it's an individual player issue. I'm not down on these guys like Van Riemsdyk or Gostas Bear. I'm down on Philadelphia. They need to figure their stuff out for the these guys to be able to get uh, producing again. So it's not them I've lost faith in. It's Philadelphia. Okay, so what was your answer, Wierenski? <laughs> uh, I would still prefer Gosses Bear. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah, he it, it's getting, but it's getting weirder, right? Like if Philadelphia doesn't figure it out, then yeah, I'd prefer Wierenski. I just figure they still have 40 games left. Like do something, Flyers. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a crazy move to make that swap, but yeah, you, you've got higher, like you just said before that you could see where Wierenski may be hitting 45 points. Gosses Bear had almost 70 last year. I think he did hit 70. So there is definitely a lot of upside there. He's not a totally different person it's obviously a bit of a different team by the way brian uh the sends and hurricanes are now tied 4-4 peter, peter Morazic has fallen apart it, it was looking good for him and uh you know that i have the best okay first of all we got dougie hamilton scored a goal so brian you were right in believing in him and it looks like he's uh really having a nice bounce back at this point also what a great feeling is it when you drop a player then you see that their team scored four goals and he got in on none of them that's how i'm feeling about having dropped brady kachuk so i'm feeling even better now also i'm seeing the latest goal is jg Pajot from Mark Stone and Dylan DeMello. So if Pajot was playing with Mark Stone, well, who did he bump? Because it was Stone with Colin White and Brady Kachuk at the start of the game. So that's something to watch potentially. Or maybe it was a line change. I don't know. Okay. I Next. love li- live game update Keeping Carlson. It's one like of the, the best subsections of Keeping Carlson. I, I'm surprised you didn't mention Brock McGinn. You mentioned a shorthanded goal. He's added an assistance then. Well, too bad no one was able to take our advice because we like, but maybe he'll keep it up. Uh, obviously, he, is he still on the top line? I guess I could look at the live line combination. So Peugeot is playing with Zach Smith and Magnus Payarvi in his first game back. So Mark Stone is still playing with Colin White and Brady Kachuk. No, that's what part. I said, Brian. That's okay. how they started the game. I said maybe something has changed mid-game. Oh, okay. The team was down like four nothing or three nothing. So like that is the type of situation where the coach changes things up. Anyway, uh, Brock McGinn still playing with Aho and Tavo Teravina. But we probably should move on to another team. Oh, I, w- I did want to mention on Philly, Mikhail Neuberth is injured again, and the sky is blue, and uh, I don't know, ice cream is tasty. Uh, with Elliot, Brian Elliott not scheduled to be back for another two, three weeks, we've got Carter Hart likely to get a bunch of starts over the next while. Uh, he's a 9.01 save percentage in six games so far, so I think it's about what we expected. Like, we thought, like, he should be good, but, like, don't expect a world beater on this, you know, terrible Philly team. Uh, I don't know. You agree, right? Carter Hart's doing what we should expect. And he'll continue to do pretty much that around 900 save percentage, maybe get a couple wins. Yeah, I don't know what we could have expected from Carter Hart. He's struggled at five on five. He's underperforming his expected save percentage. But again, this is like a team thing. No Philadelphia goalie has done well. We couldn't have expected that from Carter Hart either. In fact, if you're in a keeper or a dynasty league, this could be a great buy low opportunity. And Brian, do you know who the current backup is on Philly with Neuvirth injured? Oh my gosh. Well, it's not Stolarz. Is it Alex Lyon? Is I'll he injured too, Stolarz? I'll give you a clue. It's someone who we've mentioned on the show so far. Like today? It's someone that we've mentioned on today's show. Oh man. I don't, 
Oh, someone, uh, Jeff Zach? No, Eric Ersberg. No, <laughs> it's Mike McKenna. So, oh, Vancouver waved, he... Vancouver waved him, and then uh, Philly picked him up. I knew Vancouver waved him. I did not know Philly picked him up. <laughs> yeah, Good so luck, I, Mike McKenna. I saw a fun stat that it's like it was something crazy. Like if McKenna plays, then Philly will have had more goalies play than like wins. Or, it was something like crazy. Like they're gonna break a record for most goalies in a single season. It's ridiculous. Okay, uh, Pittsburgh. The latest Penguins lines before today have been Crosby with Gensel and Rust. So Rust was injured, but he's back now. Malkin with Hornquist and Dominic Simone. And then Broussard with Kessel and Tanner Pearson. First of all, I love how Phil Kessel continues to make almost like half of his living on the power play. He's got 46 points in 41 games on the season. Another, you know, above point per game pace for Phil Kessel. 20 of his points are in the power play. Like it doesn't even matter what even strength line this guy is on. He's going to give you a power play point like in every two games and even strength point every once in a while. And he'll be amazing. It doesn't even matter who he's playing with. Looks like uh, Rust and Simone are going to be the best streamers right now on the Penguins. As one of them's playing with Crosby, one of them's playing with Malkin. Dominic Simone has goals in two straight. He took seven shots versus the Jets on Friday. Brian Rust is pointless in four, but was on that incredible run beforehand and is playing with Crosby and Gensel, who are both really great. So, Brian, who would you take for next week if you want to stream in a Penguin between Dominic Simone and Brian Rust? That's a really good question. I you're going to hate this. I think it's even between the two though. Simone has at least three shots in four of his last five games. So I kind of prefer that from an offensive perspective. Of course, Brian Russ keeps putting up good hits and block numbers for a forward. So if peripherals are counted in your league, Rust is probably the one you want. So if shots versus peripherals doesn't decide it for you, I don't know. Simone and Russ are probably equal shots to get an actual point. I might, I might give the slight edge to Brian Rust. Yeah, me too. But both look good. And uh, Malkin, we had a tweet like recently, like it's like what's what's wrong with Malkin or something. I think he had like one game without a point. Like nothing is wrong with Malkin; he's amazing. So just throw that out there. If it, anyway, another thing that you know, like I said, the sky's blue. Ice cream is tasty. McCall Neuverth uh, is going to get injured. Uh, beds are comfortable, and yeah, like uh, Malkin is really good. Uh, San Jose, uh, another night, another multi-point game. Oh yeah, there's another one. Eric Carlson gets multiple points in a game because he's amazing. Another two assists. So two assists versus the Lightning. I love. Eric Carlson so much like he's just getting closer and closer to being point per game he's like still a little bit away but he is approaching it uh he's I don't have anything to say like I, I keep saying it every week but yeah Eric Carlson mwah, you're the best uh Timo Meyer was on a bit of a cold run going into yesterday actually two assists in his previous eight games I was one of the few that answered a Facebook question about a potential Meyer for Pacioretty trade I said I'd prefer patches and I think I got a lot of shocked faces answers and Brian even you said you'd prefer Meyer which kind of surprised me uh so I mean I'll defend myself a little bit just because, like, Meyer, like, he wasn't that cold streak. He had two assists yesterday. So that, you know, tried to make me look bad after giving that take. <laughs> but, like, still, like, I don't know. Is it risking my reputation to say that, uh, like, I don't think he'll be able to keep up what he's doing? Like, he's not on the top power play. Generally, I don't see non-top power play guys getting, like, above 70 points. So Timo Meyer right now is on a 74-point pace. I think he'll uh, be closer to a 65-point pace for the rest of the season, maybe land around 70 points. But, you know, not this, like, sure, like, point-every-game guy that he was for such a long stretch before this cold streak. I don't think that's such a hot take. I think that's probably the standard thought about Timo Meyer. Like, I, I think you're about right. He's been a beast at five-on-five, five, by the way. Like, you mentioned no power play time, so let's just celebrate how good Timo Meyer has been at five-on-five. Five. Meyer ranks 25th in the NHL in five-on-five five points, tied with Elias Pettersson and one point behind Mark Stone. He's tied for 10th in five-on-five five shots 
uh, and he's tied with uh, guys like Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Kane. And Timo Meyer's rate stats are even better, of course. He's second to only Brendan Gallagher in five-on-five shot attempts for 60 minutes. But the one thing, all these sure-shot point-per-game players like Kane and Gaudreau and Stone and Peterson uh, have going for them is that they have abundant opportunity on the top power play. So you have to ding Meyer for not getting that opportunity but how much do you want to ding him i mean 65 is safe and reasonable for sure the rest of the way um and a high ish ipp and on ice shooting percentage could regress to make that happen at 65 points but i think that timo meyer still has a decent shot at reaching 70 points just based on the shot volume he's got without that top power play time he has no goals on his last 34 shots when he could have had three or four goals based on his shooting percentages thus far yeah, so wait, you think he has a fair shot at reaching? You said it in this voice as if like you're like, Elon, I'm still going to disagree with you. Like if I say he's going to have a 65 point pace the rest of the way, that would mean he hit 70 because right now he's around 75 points, right? Yeah, so there you go. So we agree. Uh, St. Louis Blues, we are crushing this, Brian. We're almost to the whole league. Uh, so you mentioned that Petrangelo returned on last week's show. He had no points in his first two games after returning at that point, but like he scored a goal and assist versus Washington on Thursday with five shots, and he took another five shots yesterday, but went pointless versus the Islanders. But the big Petrangelo news, just like Kevin Shattenkirk, is that it looks like he's back on the top power play. He had 57% or higher power play time in the last two games. So I think he's maybe bumped Vince Dunn for the time being. So like if he's available in free agency, I definitely grab him. This is the Petrangelo, just like Shattenkirk, right? The guy we were expecting to draft, a top power play defenseman on their team for sure. St. Louis is obviously not the great team that maybe we expected them to be when we were drafting Petrangelo, but at least him getting back on the top power play makes me think that he could have a better second half of the season than he did first half before he got injured. Yeah, it's really encouraging to see Alex Petrangelo getting top power play time. And I think there probably are some leagues out there where he is a free agent and now would not be a bad time at all for a speculative ad. Elon, who would you prefer if you have Petrangelo and Shattenkirk both available in one spot? Petrangelo. Petrangelo. Yeah? Easy. That was so also- quick. Yeah, well, especially because of the peripherals and the fact that Shattenkirk is like, uh, I don't know, Shattenkirk still has to prove stuff to me. Also, Shattenkirk is playing like 17, 18 minutes a game as opposed to Petrangelo, who plays big minutes. Like I said, he has 10 shots in his last two games. I think he's a safer bet. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I I think the one thing going against Petrangelo is that there is more, like I think Vince Dunn is more competition for that top power play role than anybody is in New York. Like right now there's just competition. There's, there's, there's zero there's zero competition when Neil Pionk has been there like all season long and and hasn't done much with it lately like he's to still the point that more. they ran five I'd say the fifth forward is the biggest competition for Kevin Shattenkirk right now like I think it's an even field that's crazy like I don't want to be here defending Neil Pionk but he I think has more points on the year than Vince Dunn on the power play but anyway okay uh David Perron uh, speaking of things we could argue about, he's on a six-game point streak, playing with Ryan O'Reilly, who I think is the best player on the team at this point, at even strength and on the power play. He's up to a 60-point pace on the season, yet I, like, you ask me, uh, you message me being like, Elon, who should I add for my couple team? And I, like, look at the available free agents, and I have to beg you to pick up David. I see David Perron available. I'm like, whoa, David Perron's available? Of course at David Perron. And you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. You, you add him like because i like beg and then i'm like good brian listen to me he's going to be very happy for the rest of his life now like the next day you're like oh i want to add this guy who should i drop maybe perron like no he's like explain yourself to me this guy is doing so well 
Okay, so here are the reasons why I I didn't like David Perron before he was playing with Ryan O'Reilly because he's playing with Tyler Bozak, Patrick Maroon, Robert Thomas, Zach Sanford. Then he was a healthy scratch. He sees middle six deployment a lot of the time. And after the last run, he went on like this where you were also begging me to add him and I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't because after the run he went on, he had two points in 12 games. Uh, He has a 21% shooting percentage. So even the success he's seen so far this year has been unsustainable. That said, playing with Ryan O'Reilly on the line he's on right now seems like it gives him a good enough shot to get a point in any given game, which is great. Like, so I'm glad I added him. Elon, thank you for your super helpful advice. And I mean that sincerely, but this is just why I'm always suspect of David Perron. Like nothing seems sustainable. It just seems like we're one, uh, like one step away from him being scratched again. Okay, uh, sure. But I will say this. I would rather Perron over Josh Bailey at this point. And I will put my money no. where my mouth is. If the Perron owner in Kakupfo wants to send me that trade offer, I think I'm going to pull the trigger on that. So somebody needs to offer Elon that deal. Whoever it is, Piran owner, you know what to do. Okay, maybe the 90% chance I'm going to take it. Maybe I'll just look into it for a second. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I would. I uh, thought you were going to offer me a bet on the show of who gets more points the rest of the season. I'll take that. Okay, sure. Piran. Okay, Bailey. Okay, done. Okay. Done. So the person, the mysterious person out there who tracks all our bets, please make sure to <laughs> note that. Yeah, that's on the list. Uh, we're on to the tease. We're, we're basically done. We could even stop now, but why not just go to Tampa Bay? Okay, here's a question. How is it? Like, explain. I don't understand, I think, how the world works. It's clearly, I have some misunderstanding. I have a gap in my knowledge of how hockey works. Because how is it that Tampa scores a million goals a game and Andre Palat is playing with the red-hot Steven Stamkos at even strength, who I don't, like, I think Stamkos has, like, 24 points in his last, like, 16. Like, it's some, like, crazy thing like that. Okay. Plus, Palat is playing on the top power play with the even hotter Nikita Kucherov and Stamkos and everyone else, Hedman. Yet, his assist yesterday was his first point in six games like how is Andre Palat not getting in on more of these goals is he the unluckiest player in the whole world does he have like a one percent IPP like you got to imagine a breakout is coming soon with this deployment right like I'd be expecting at least a 55 60 point pace from Andre Palat with this deployment like he's also a good player he's not a nobody I asked myself this question while rostering Andre Palat for two weeks in my most recent stint and like Every time I roster him this season, I'm hard-pressed to think of another player in the league who is both as talented as Palat and having as good deployment as Palat, who is coming up with less to show for it than Andre Palat is. And I also can't find anything that shows that Palat deserves much more than he's gotten so far this season. It does still feel inevitable that this situation should bear fruit for him, and he's worth holding on to if you've got the roster space and room to breathe in the standings, but he is a very frustrating person to wait on. My preferred move with Palat right now is to like have him as my designated stream if I can, because nobody else is interested in this guy in a lot of leagues. So you don't have to keep him on your roster while he scores zero points. You can just add him into your lineup, let him get zero points that night. But like you have the chance for him to get one or two and then drop him again. No one's going to want him and then just re-add him for your next game. Like that's my Palat strategy. He's like the roster player that you don't actually need to roster. Right, except that your strategy isn't going to work in the couple because Lewis in the chat room is saying that he added him. So uh, that's not, uh, you just got to hope 
yeah, like I, I think Lewis made a smart move adding him. And but yeah, I think in most leagues you're probably right, Brian. Like in our joint league, Palat isn't owned. I hope that no one in our league listens to this podcast. No one has ever said that they do. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely have my eye on him to add when he starts producing, or maybe even sooner if there's a good streaming schedule that comes up at some point. Uh, okay, let's go to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I guess we've been doing this every week. So once again, let's talk about what's going on with William Nylander. Uh, he's finally back playing with Austin Matthews. So that's great. Uh, he scored a goal against Minnesota on Thursday. Nothing yesterday. Still only three points in 13 games overall. But, like, obviously now is the time to grab him. Like, this is what we were waiting for, right? He's playing with Matthews and Andreas Janssen. And I like both of these guys playing with Matthews to do something more. I, I still don't think that William Nylander can break a 70-point pace if he's not getting that top power play time. Like, see my conversation about uh, Timo Meyer earlier. But I do feel like Nylander should at least be able to match what I'm expecting for like Palat moving forward if he sticks in the top six, which is like 55, 60 point pace at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then also on the Leafs, uh, Frederick Anderson was injured. Garrett Sparks is injured. And so the Leafs acquired Michael Hutchinson from the Panthers and he shut out the Canucks yesterday. So I don't know, maybe Michael Hutchinson is going to be the new Curtis McElhenney, a guy who was never really good. And he comes to the Leafs and he's like a really solid backup and a great stream a spot start, you know, every single time he plays, because I feel like as bad as Michael Hutchinson has been in his career, I feel like he still will have a great chance to win whenever he plays just because this Leafs team is so good. Yeah, that's it. He had a very easy game against Vancouver on Saturday night. He was very well protected by Toronto. Um, and that's what he's going to need to be able to put up good numbers while having a good chance to win. Uh, like you said, Elon, if you can get the starting goalie on one of the top offensive teams in the league, you go for it. Just be aware that he could blow up your rate stats. How about this, Brian? Tell me if this is a good take. I think, assuming that he stays the backup for the rest of the season, like assuming that Garrett Sparks doesn't bump Hutchinson to the minors, I think that Hutchinson is going to win more games for the rest of the season than Anders Nilsson. Uh, huh. What do you say? Assuming that Garrett Sparks, what? Like assuming that Hutchinson is the backup for the rest of the year. Like I obviously, think that's I- a big assumption though. Like okay. that, that's baked into this whole thing, right? Uh, okay, I think that the backup on Toronto is going to get more wins than Anders Nilsson for the rest of the year, combining like all the non-Frederick Anderson people. Huh, I, that's really interesting. I think there's a chance, which is so, so sad. I think it's like pretty, pretty for sure. Because like, I think Nilsson will maybe win like one game every two weeks. And I think that the backup will probably win like 1.5 games every two weeks. <laughs> okay. okay, that's reasonable, especially if the Leafs want to rest Anderson towards the end of the season. Okay, let's go to Vancouver now. Poor Elias Peterson got injured again. He got tangled up with Kotkaniemi on Thursday. He's just day-to-day. Apparently, he's going to be back in a week or two, so could have been worse. Happy about that. Uh, but earlier in the week, Brian, I was planning on really pumping the tires of the recently outjured Sven Berchi, who came back to play with Peterson and Besser on both the top line and the top power play on Vancouver. I was like, this guy, grab this guy. Such a great spot for him. Obviously, he's less appealing now while Peterson is out, but I'd still be adding Sven Berchi to my watch list. Berchi's actually having a pretty decent season overall, right? Like he's got nine points in 15 games, around a 50 point pace, the best he's ever done. Uh, Will you, like assuming once Elias Peterson comes back, will you be more into Sven Berchi than you were into Goldobin? You know, earlier in the year we were talking about him and he was in the same spot. Are you like more equally into Berchi now? 
I think I'm a little more into it. I was pretty into Goldobin. And then uh, it seems as though he's not really well liked in Vancouver at the moment. I, I, I saw something on Twitter. I can't remember where it came from. So I don't even know if I could call it a rumor. But apparently he's being shopped around, which isn't surprising, given that Goldobin has uh, barely seen the ice for the last little while playing uh, just more than like 10 minutes a night. Although he did see 17 minutes uh, on Saturday night against Toronto. Anyone know what scouts were at that game? Maybe there was a little little showcase action happening. A weird season for Nikolai Goldobin, who seemed like he could be the guy to be like a dynamic duo with Elias Peterson. And now he seems to be right at the bottom of, of the lineup in Vancouver. So uh, anyway, back to Berchi. Yeah, I think 50 points, as long as he's playing with Peterson, would be really, uh, really wonderful. Yeah, especially if it's Peterson and Besser on the same line. And if he gets on the top power play, that's a guy you want to stream into your team and maybe hold. But yeah, you got to wait for this injury issue to clear up because as we saw yesterday, Vancouver may not score that many goals without their superstar rookie. Uh, also, since they traded away Nilsson Schmilson, they called up Thatcher Demko. And so now Demko is backing up Markstrom and Markstrom has been solid overall. He got rocked by the Leafs yesterday, but like, you know, that was to be expected. What do you think is going to happen with Demko moving forward? Like, is he going to get some reps while he's up with the big club or is he going to be a backup who plays just as much as Nilsson was playing before? Uh, it's really hard to say. Like, it feels like if he's going to be called up, they should try and get some games out of him. Like I could see him starting one out of every three. Markstrom has been okay. Right. But I don't think he's been uh, somebody who can't be replaced in a number one job or one B. Markstrom's been essentially average. Uh, He's had a few good games in a row before really being crummy in the last one where he stopped just uh, 29 of 34 shots against. But on the season, 908 save percentage has some good runs in him. I could see. Yeah, I I think that the most predictive I'll get about this is saying Demko could start one of three but this seems um less like a call-up to be like okay well if we're if we're gonna have him in the NHL we're gonna use him um maybe it's more a call-up to be like oh well we know we're gonna be leaning on him next year looking to lean on him next year let's acclimatize him to the NHL now yeah, though I think Cam Robinson, when he was on the show, he said that he thought even like it might be a couple years before Demko becomes the starter on the team. But we'll have to wait and see. We have Jens here in the chat room saying Demko isn't NHL ready. I guess it'll be interesting to see when he gets his first start of the season. Uh, let's go to Vegas now. Max Pacioretty returned on Friday and he scored a goal against Anaheim and he took six shots. So great return for Patches. He got his spot back on the Stasny Tuck line. He didn't get his top power play spot. Actually, uh, Tuck was still there, though maybe Pacioretty will take it back at some point. And poor Brandon Peary was sent back to the minors to make room for patches. Got to imagine Puri wasn't happy, just like his fantasy owners, because he scored six goals and three assists in seven games with the big club, but still couldn't hold that spot on the team. It's like, what more could he have done? But actually, I have the answer, because there was an interview with the GM for Vegas, which I think, to me, explained everything and actually made me think that this Vegas management team is like very smart. They know what they're doing. Basically, he was saying we were able to send Brandon Peary down and he's waiver exempt. So we didn't have to expose him. And like, if they would have dropped someone else, they would have had to put them on waivers and then someone else would have taken them and they would have gotten nothing for him. So maybe Vegas is trying to be smart and maybe like try to ship away a player, you know, get a traffic for him and then call up Brandon Peary and maybe get something for him. So could be a smart move. And actually he said that it was similar to what they did with Theodore and Alex Tuck last year. They were both sent to the minors, even though they were definitely like NHL ready, ready to be on the team, but they decided, yeah, hey, let's send them down for now, figure things out and then call them back later so he did say that brandon peary will be back which then begs the question like brian if you had peary would you hold him and waste a roster spot in hopes that you'll get your point per game guy back soon or like if not would you be jumping on him as soon as he does get called up eventually because like 
the thing is with Pacioretty back, there doesn't seem to be an open top six spot available unless he bumps someone, and I'm not sure who that would be. Yeah, it seems like injury is probably the best way for Perry to get into the lineup right now. And the reason he was sent down is because he's on a two-way contract. They didn't have to be worried about losing him. Um, I actually own him in one league where I have 11 moves remaining for the season. And I'm in this exact situation. Like, I don't know if it's worth losing a move or if I should just try and like suck it up and wait it out a week to see if Perry comes back. I think your answer is essentially dependent on where you are in the standings. Do you have room to breathe in your standings? Can you afford to burn a roster spot for a week or two while waiting on Brandon Peary to maybe come back? And then even if he does come back, maybe he'll do something. I don't think that's a luxury that, well, hopefully a lot of our listeners can afford that luxury. But if you can't afford that luxury, I think you need to move on and just say, hey, it was great while it lasted. Hopefully I can strike gold again in free agency. Yeah, jump on him quick. There were practice lines for like one day when Pacioretty was there and it was Pacioretty skating on the third line. But I don't know if that's very representative of what would happen once Peary comes back. Uh, also in Vegas, Nate Schmidt up to 14 points in 24 games. That's a 48-point pace. We talked about him, I think, on the last show that I was on and we were comparing him to Shea Theodore. And you were like saying Theodore has more like offensive upside, but Nate Schmidt is better because he also gives you peripherals. So it depends kind of what you need. But at this point, like Nate Schmidt is like seeming like he gives you the offense and he gives you the peripherals so anyone who added him is definitely happy about that now he's been fantastic yeah he has been a great guy for peripherals and an occasional chance at a point uh, a little misleading though his point total so far uh, because he has four goals but none of them have come at five on five he has one on the power play two empty net goals and one that I still haven't accounted for. Like it, I think it was probably maybe at four on four. It doesn't look like it was at three on three. Uh, in any case, uh, he's probably got a, a couple more goals than he should. Thanks to those empty netters, which means that anybody thinking he's more than a 45 point guy might be setting their expectations a little too high. I prefer him around the 40 range. You can push me up to 45 points if he does get good top power play deployment, but we'll have to see if that lasts once Colin Miller's back in the lineup. Yeah, well, even with Colin Miller and Theodore out, it was still Nate Schmidt on the second power play and Brad Hunt on the top power play, who's like normally scratched when everyone's healthy. (laughs) But either way, uh, you know, it's not like Shea Theodore has shown himself to be better than a 40-point guy. So I think Nate Schmidt is just as likely to get points and he gets peripherals. So in most leagues, give me Schmidt over Theodore. I actually dropped Theodore in the couple a few weeks back. I think I said that on the show. I since added Nate Schmidt. And I'm liking, I think he, he, to me, he's looking now, he might be a season long hold. Like originally it was a stream, but now I'm really liking him. Uh, let's go to Washington. I actually couldn't think of it. Like, this is like really, this is like three in the morning yesterday. And I was working on this because we had to do this early re- show recording. So I need to have all my prep done. So Brian could do his prep in the morning. Uh, I couldn't think of a take about Washington. Like I could say something about Ovechkin. I don't know. Maybe Brian, why don't you rant about Tom Wilson? You, you tweeted about Tom Wilson earlier in the week. He had a fight and then you made like a little dig at him. Yeah, well, I said, if you're not scoring anymore, you better do something to earn that really bloated contract you were given. I I mean, look, I'm not going to do a victory lap because Tom Wilson has uh, just two points in his last six games, but I'm just going to mention he's pointless in five of his last six games. Those two points came in the same contest and they came at Ottawa. So like, do they even really count? Uh, (laughs) Only 13 shots in those six games, which is like, okay. But again, this is, who I think Tom Wilson is. And if I'm generous and I go back and I include a few more points that he's scored recently, uh, that gives Tom Wilson five points in his last 11 games, which is uh, less than a half point per game pace and probably still a little less than I'd project him for. But um, remember when I like just 
keep a cool head about Tom Wilson. Don't be Tom Wilson about Tom Wilson is what I'm saying. I actually am going to just still be a little higher on him than you. And actually he was, if you recall, not playing with Ovechkin for a little while. He was on the second line, but I saw in the last game, he was back playing with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. So also like for a while, like Ovechkin was playing with Backstrom and they were trying different things, but now they're back to like the playoff lines from last year, I guess. So uh, Kuznetsov, Ovechkin and Tom Wilson on line one. And I like Wilson's chances to get points there as opposed to anywhere else. So I could see him bouncing back a little bit from whatever this was, like two points in his last six games. I see him as at least a half point per game guy. I could even see him getting up to a 50 point pace. Kind of depends a lot on Ovechkin, right? Like it depends. Like Ovechkin was so hot for a while and obviously Tom Wilson was right along there with him. And Ovechkin's been a little bit colder lately. And thus Tom Wilson also is cold. Yes, but like that's part and parcel with Tom Wilson, right? He may be playing with Ovechkin. He might not be. And I think Elon, you and I are pretty close to one another like you said 45 points maybe 50 i feel like i've got him around the same ballpark okay cool but like definitely own him now like while he's playing with ovechkin grab me shouldn't be a free agent even in a points only league i think okay uh last team brian we've done it gone through the whole entire nhl and we end up in winnipeg where nikolai ehlers so i i hate when i'm like using my excited voice to talk about someone being injured not nice i feel bad for him he's out until mid-february with a shoulder injury after he left friday's games they were using the lines of like Wheeler, Shifley, and Kyle Connor, and then Liney with Little and Matthew Perot. So I guess Matthew Perot jumped to the second line. Kyle Connor jumped to the top line because if you recall, Connor was playing with Liney and Little, and Ehlers was on the top line. Uh, this is probably good news for Kyle Connor, I would think. Like we said a couple weeks ago, he seems to only be able to get points when Ehlers doesn't get points, and Ehlers definitely won't be getting points until mid February because he won't be playing. And also, of course, being back on the Shifley and Wheeler line should help because playing with the Patrick Liney line like it doesn't seem to be so helpful line is really cold right now he only has one goal in his last seven games if you recall he was cold at the start of the season then he had that crazy run of 11 goals in four games at the end of november but is now quiet again so brian is this just the calm before the storm for patrick line or should his owners maybe be looking to cut bait like in a one-year league and i don't say cut bait like drop him but like maybe you could still sell high on line now maybe you want to get a more reliable player on your roster for your fantasy playoffs that are going to start in a couple months So you're saying trade down from Patrick Liney and his upside to someone who you know is going to get you like 70 points. Yeah, exactly. If you can, like, I'm just worried, like Liney seems like he's either going to win you your life, you know, he's 11 goals in a week. Like it was actually one of my rare couple of matchups where I lost and sorry for being so braggy, but actually not sorry because I earned it. But like uh, the, one of the rare ones that I've lost is because I was uh, playing against the Liney owner in that week when he was scoring five goals a game. It was so frustrating. So, like, I still have a lot of faith in Patrick Liney. We've detailed uh, several times on the show about why the season isn't quite going to plan, even though he's still putting plenty of shots on goal. Uh, his usage has not uh, skyrocketed the way we hoped it would, even though it's still gone up. He's up a minute per game on average, but he just has not uh, has not been able to do a whole lot with it. One of the reasons is he has only seven assists this year. Like, he has 24 goals. He's on pace to get... Well, at 48 for sure, if I do the exact math. Yeah, Patrick Liney is on a 49-goal pace this year. And it's like, like, it's hard to think about trading that guy. But when he has just seven assists, uh, it makes his overall totals look real bad. And he's not a guy who's lit it up in assists in the past. Like last year, 44 goals, 26 assists. The year before, 36 goals, 28 assists. So we're not surprised to see a a gap between his goals and assist totals but we are surprised to see his assist totals be quite this low um 
I feel like they'll come. I feel like there's been a lot of trouble for him and Connor that can't sustain, right? Like they're just having some frustrating on ice shooting times and that things are going to be better um, before the end of the year. So I would probably hang on to Liney thinking that those assists are going to start coming the same way his goals are coming as normal. That, that's what I would do, Elon. I don't know what you would do. Like, would you want to trade him for like Timo Meyer? Well, when you're saying his goals are coming as normal, like I said, he only has one goal in his last nine games. So his goals aren't coming as normal. If you tell me his season total goals, like take out that one week and it's not that good. So like, I don't care about his season total of goals. He had 11 goals in four games. And aside from that, he only has like 13 goals or like a very much more pedestrian goal number. Yeah, he scored one goal on his last 18 shots, which generally isn't like usually on 18 shots, he can pick up three goals. Okay, well, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't give me this little small sample size. Like, I agree with you. We're in agreement. I just think that Patrick Laine is showing himself to be inconsistent. So if you hold him in your league, you might be risking having a guy that will be just as cold in your fantasy playoffs. I don't know about Timo Meyer because I gave my little concerns about him. But if you could get like a top power, like if you get Joe Pavelski, I might take him. Like, like Logan Couture. I think I might take him over Patrick Laine for a one-year league. Uh, obviously not in the keeper. I think that the sky's the limit. But uh, I don't know. I think I'd like Laine a lot better if he was playing with Shifley and Wheeler. Like, I wonder who's going to get more points over the stretch while Ehlers is injured. I kind of feel like Kyle Connor is going to be in a better position to get points than Laine will. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, as a Kyle Connor owner, I certainly hope so. <laughs> from your, I, I was religious earlier, right? So from your mouth to God's ears, right? Is, is, is that the saying? Uh, Lewis in the chat room, or someone said that I was like the Yiddish grandma of the episode. <laughs> Brian, we did it. We went through all the teams in the NHL. Another yearly tradition in the books. 31 teams, 31 takes. I had such a good time. Except we need to rename this episode 31 teams, 85 takes. Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Multiple takes per team. Yeah, so I, I can't help it. How can we talk about Chicago and Colin Delia, but also not mention Eric Gustafsson, right? Like sometimes you have to give two takes on one team. Okay. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm all for it. All right. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for sticking with us all throughout 2018. We're going to try to give you a really great year of keeping Carlson content. And even if you are losing in your league, I know like our listenership tends to go down a little bit at the end of the year. Cause some people may be like, oh, I'm losing. Why should I even listen? You might still enjoy the show. We might give you tips for next year. Sometimes we do that as the season progresses of like, okay, well this guy might be a really sneaky draft pick next year. So no, no matter what, we're going to try to give you a reason to keep listening to the show. So yeah, thanks everyone for sticking with us. If you like the show, tweeted us at keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. There was something also that I asked for before oh yeah dynasty league people tell me if you think a mcavoy for weber trade would go down i think i saw in the chat room that especially in a salary cap league that's the type of trade that might go down because weber gets paid so much more uh if you really like the show you can give us a five-star review on itunes we always appreciate that if you really really like the show and also like getting fun swag and perks then why not consider becoming a patron of keeping carlson you support us you get throw us five dollars a month basically nothing right like what pennies a day I, I, I can't do the math right now but in exchange you're going to not only help us continue to produce this uh show for you but you'll also get access to our patron only facebook group you'll get our monthly patron cast you'll get our show notes uh you also get access to bonus podcasts like dave benton's amazing stream scheme show uh, you'll have access to like marcus's uh spreadsheet of couple ownership like there's a whole bunch of fun perks for being a patron and plus you get that warm fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're helping to support uh free content on the internet so 
check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for any uh, information you want about that. Uh, but with that, Brian, how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest one, Alex A. Welcome aboard. It was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospect, Course Gun, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Leap Prospects, Evolving Hockey, and Roto World, and Yahoo. Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to, to doing this all again with you next week. We're going to have another 1 p.m. Sunday matinee for those of you who want to join us live at keepingcarlson.com slash live. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>